You know what's happened, don't you? Hi guys, Steve here, you're listening to my podcast, 50 Uses for the Word Love, where every week we ponder the smorgasbord of human emotions, and how funny it is that in the English language so many fall under the one term, love. This week is another non-comedy guest, though he is a seasoned podcaster in his own right, and a fierce, fierce friend, Liam Dempsey. Liam and I went to university together over a decade ago. He's an award-winning storyteller, writer, director, actor. He's also been heard on the radio as a TV and film critic for BBC Sussex and BBC Surrey. And as you'll probably be able to tell from this episode, uh, he's one of my favourite people to talk to you about, well, anything. First things first, drop everything you're doing now and go to iTunes and subscribe to his podcast, Spocklight which he created with Paul Wilson and Matt Brothers, where they re-examine Star Trek from a non-Trekky perspective. It's just such a joyful, fun show. I myself have had the privilege of being a guest on three times, one time with previous guest William Stone, the other with comedian Sean McLaughlin. Previous 50 Uses guest Jen Ives was also on recently. They've interviewed some fantastic people connected to Star Trek, most recently Ronnie Rao Jr., who's in Discovery, the most current show. They've also interviewed director Richard Donner, he directed fucking Superman. So everyone, go listen to Spotlight. It's a class show if you're a Trekkie or a non-Trekkie. It's been such a pleasure to see them go from strength to strength. And without them, I don't think you'd be listening to me right now. Liam really aced this episode. He came in with tons of prep, a story to tell, and his heart on his sleeve. I really felt a strong sense of, of personal responsibility on his part to do justice to a tragic and lonely moment in recent history and his family's place within it. And in that way, he's not just doing this week's subject proud, he's a fine example of it. Get it in your head holes. Enjoy. You're listening to 50 Uses for the Word Love. Today's form of love is allegiance. It's nice to see you, man. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. It's good. And you're seeing John Wick Free later, aren't you? I'm I very jealous. John. Yeah, I'm excited about it with yeah, Bassey. That's going to be looking great. I'm seeing on Monday. I can't wait. Yeah. I, it, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's like, it should be diminishing returns, shouldn't it? But I think it's kind of just becoming something ethereal. It's and escalating returns. Yeah, escalating returns. And maybe it, will, maybe it will be thought of as a perfect trilogy. Yeah, maybe. I mean, well, it, it, it's one of those things with looking already at how much money it's making at the box office, mm. or more likely it will be a perfect quadrilogy. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, completely. I It's a weird one with John Wick, because I remember us talking about John Wick when it came out. Mm. I think both you and me were quite excited about it. Yeah. Because it was a film about a man who goes on a revenge spree yes. for the death of his pet. Yes. And I think we both related to it. We thought, what a great idea yes. for a film in terms of... Because I completely... Because I don't like the way people tend to devalue animals as if they're less mm. than human. Yeah. Or anything like that. And it's just... And, you know, your pet, I feel, is more of like a friend than yeah. a pet. Pet's going family, like, Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. And, I remember um, coming up to me in the arts bar in uni... Because uh, my cat just passed away, and he came up and went, David's just told me, I've only just heard, and you gave me a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, because I, I completely understand, because I know how, uh, well, at the time, uh, my first cat hadn't died yet, mm. but I completely knew how I would feel if she did, and how I did feel when yeah. she did. Yeah. 
So yeah, it, it is a big thing, and I think I remember <laughs> we were annoyed. Yes, when we found out that in the film, because we we'd heard about the concept, yes. and there'd been lots of kind of like buzz about the film. We were like, yes. oh, what a brilliant idea! The premise had been and, released yeah. online, yeah. and then they released the trailer. And they were like, oh, okay, here's the dog and everything like that. And oh, here's the bad guy. He's killing the dog and that's awful. And now, oh, now he's really angry and he's going to go yeah. and get revenge. And then there's like a voiceover going, you don't understand. That dog was the last <laughs> gift from his wife who died of cancer or something. And now he's going to come to get you. And it's like, and I was like, oh, really? Yeah, me too. And in terms of, I was just like, well, why can't it just be his dog? I 100% agree. Why can't he just be upset about people killing his dog? It lost one star. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five-star film if it's just about him (laughs) killing for his dog. Because I was just like, no, he doesn't, it doesn't need to be. And especially as in the, in the film. Yeah. What happens is after he has returned home <laughs> from the funeral of his wife, he gets delivery of the dog, and that's the last yes, gift yeah, of his wife. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's paying around the dog and everything like that. And he's then like one day with yes, it. Yes, yeah, yeah. He literally he goes to bed, gets up, and they they go off together to get some petrol or something. Mm-hmm. That's where he runs into Fionn Greyjoy, <laughs> um, and he says, "Oh, nice dog, nice car." And then they attack him that night and they kill the dog. Mm. So he's basically known the dog for a day. Now, in a way, I kind of like that as well because... You've fallen in love with a dog in one day. Yeah, exactly. And because it's saying that it doesn't matter that he only knew the dog for one day. That dog's still worth killing for. Yeah, exactly. Everything like that. And like, you know, and it is played very beautifully in terms of when the the dog is like baseball batted to death. And it's a very cute little dog. It it crawls like over to Wick on the floor and like like, dies like next to it. Oh God, it's emotional. I I think it's one of the last scenes in Green Room. Room. Do you ever see Green Room? Yes, seen Green Room. Yeah, like, yeah. But there's like a henchman character, and like the last scene of the film yes. is the henchman's dog just going over and lying next to him. Well, because it's built up because they keep cutting back to the dog, and it's a really vicious mm. trained dog, yeah. and you keep cutting back to the dog coming towards them, and you think, oh, this is going to be the big thing when that dog arrives yeah. at the end, it's going to kill the other two, like going <laughs> like yeah. And but actually, what happens is it just returns to its owner. It's a real twist. I think it does that, and it is really, really sad. So, (laughs) you know what? It's like it kind of got away with it because the fact that I was like, yeah, you know what? You can rework it to be like he didn't even need to know that dog really well. He's just like you killed that dog, and that's it. Like uh, like, (laughs) I completely agree because I just wanted when I heard when I read that synopsis, I just wanted it to be. Keanu Reeves is sat on his porch with his dog. That's the first scene. Next scene, the dog's dead and we need no more explanation <laughs> as to why he's killing everyone. Yeah, and also, you know what? At the end of the first film, yeah. he rescues another dog yes. from a pound. Yes. Kind of thing. And to me, it was going like, oh, you know what? John Wick just loves dogs. Yeah. Like, he, j- he just loves dogs. Going like, yeah. And, and at the end of, like, the second film, <laughs> the dog, as he ru- as he's made excommunicado, it turns <laughs> out every single person the entire world is an assassin yeah. and they're all after him he, he's running and his dog runs alongside him yeah. like, actually, actually, I must say I'm actually really happy that they didn't just have him rescue the dog at the end of the film just so they could fridge another dog at the beginning yeah. of every single yeah, John Wick movie because that's basically what they do in every other franchise it's like hey do you remember the girl that he was with last time yeah, yeah. this time she's straight up it's like, <laughs> it's like cinema, cinema treats dogs better than it does female leads well, it's like 
Have you ever seen any of the Death Wish films? Oh well, I mean, I started watching the first one out of like cinematic curiosity. Yeah, I just it just didn't wasn't for me. I hate revenge movies, but uh, for me, I love the genre yeah. because when one comes along that's really fucking yes. good, yeah, like Dead Man's Shoes, like Dead yeah. Man's Shoes, like John Wick, kind of thing, mm. like you know, I I'm like, oh yeah, amazing. This this yeah. is my jam. Death Wish is a, a weird one because it's kind of a perennial like revenge film, but it's yeah, it, I've got issues. With it. I mean, it's it's highly kind of conservative. But the big one to mention is there's five Death Wish films, right? Okay. As in the, the original Charles Bronson ones. Not talking about the new Bruce Does Willis. Does he get married and have a full Hero grown form. daughter every time? Well, no, what happens <laughs> is at the end of the, the beginning of each one, someone else who he cares about gets mm. like fucked over in a similar way. So in the beginning, in the first one, it's his wife and daughter. Yeah. And the wife gets killed and raped and killed. Oh and God, the and the daughter gets raped no! and like beat her. But she also gets like um <laughs> Yeah, she ends up in hospital. What do you mean? So she survives? Yeah, she survives. Oh, she survives, God. but she's brain damaged, I think. Oh my God. And in the second one, it's like his mate. <laughs> Gets like attacked, but at the same time, talking about diminishing returns. It's the same time I think his like brain damaged daughter is so distraught about the maid getting attacked that she commits suicide. Oh my god! Right, and then like by the third or fourth one, I some bloke he met like in the street one day, like yeah, he's like right, that's it, revenge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it gets like further and further down the line of like his tenuous links to these people. may want to just admit to himself that he's just really into revenge yeah yeah yeah, yeah you know what doesn't <laughs> Charles, take much so maybe you just like revenge it's like what do you mean the green party lost I'm gonna kill some people <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the first film the whole thing is is like he the police actually catch him out because he gets shocked I think but then the copper who catches him goes like you know what like you've been doing a really good job (laughs) and says like basically you've gone too far you can't stick around so get out of my city but you know don't worry about it we'll we'll sweep this under the rug (laughs) so he goes to another city I think he goes to LA or something like that and he gets there and he's at the airport and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Literally, he sees some, and you think, "All oh, right, he's reformed now." Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And he sees just some kids like just mucking about. They're just like teenagers. Like, they're not even doing anything, but oh they're God, mucking just about, kicking the camera. And, he, and yeah, and he turns around and like puts his kind of puts does the old finger guns. Yeah, and kind of points the finger guns towards the kids, like. <laughs> like that. And he's like, and the whole thing is like, all oh, right, okay, now he's just gonna start killing anyone. Death, death wish six, infant side. <laughs> yeah, indiscriminately killing. Oh, oh my god! You see, that's why John Wick's works because it, yes, it, it yeah. skipped all that diminishing returns revenge and just went straight to the mother load, which is your dog. There's yes, nothing yeah, better yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and I think the sequels are really smart by not having him lose more people. It's not really reactive; it's that they're after him, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like you know, so it's just the first one's the revenge movie, and then it just becomes like an yeah, action absolutely. franchise. And this is tying in really nicely to the theme already: allegiance. Yes, because that, that was basically saying that the true allegiance is between the man and his dog. Yeah, exactly. So well, yeah, let's get on to that then. We, we, so. we, we, we can get back, we can get on to it, but I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> just enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we can just talk about John Wick. <laughs> well, no, oh, yeah, well, totally, man. I totally do that. <laughs> Every now and again, I'll get someone go like, oh, it takes like 15 minutes for you to get round to what you're talking about. But like, no, it all ties in. Well, I think what's probably best is we just like chat and it will just come. Yeah, like thing, yeah. Like, I'll do the I'll do the intro of my okay, thing cool, cool, cool. Okay, can you feel it? It's happening. 
Hi everyone! <laughs> Welcome to 50 Uses for the Word Love. I'm Stephen Trumbull, and I love Batman the Animated Series. Good choice. It's so good. And like and I know And I see the DVDs are sprawled out. They're over literally there. sprawled out. It. Yes. And 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 I know it and I, I also want to kind of qualify this by saying that like a lot of people would say that. Like it, it's not just like, oh, it's like oh, it's a TV show you liked. Oh, you hipster millennial douchebag. Like it's not even that. It's it genuinely is legit. I think could be one of the best television shows ever put on screen. Like, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's certainly one of the best, if not the best screen depiction of Batman ever. 100%. Like, you know, 100%. There's nothing manual about it, especially as we I mean, we did watch it originally. Yeah, we watched came, it back it in came, the 90s. When, yeah, when yeah. it came out. Like, you know, on uh, Saturday mornings on What's Up Doc or whatever yes. it's called, like split between it. And now we've got the DVD box sets and appreciating it even more. And I mean, they are... You know, the speaking of vigilantism, you know, yeah, it took yeah, the theme yeah, incredibly yeah. seriously, and it's pre-Columbine, so all the bad guys have guns, yeah, firing yeah, Tommy yeah, guns yeah. at people. Yeah, it's all that's the thing. They really pushed the limits of what they could get away with on yeah. kids' TV of yeah. that level. There's actually, it's funny. Um, on my own podcast, Spotlight, we interviewed. Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, okay, who actually wrote three episodes really? of Batman the Animated Series. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And they were talking about they wrote an episode which has a flashback to the death of his parents. Yes. They were saying like they really kind of came up against the kind of standards and practice yeah. kind of like boards on it because it was, you know. Was it a scarecrow episode? They did one of those episodes. And there's a great book called Batman Animated by Chip Kidd, which is mm. this beautiful, like gorgeous art book. I think I've got it. Have you got it? Yeah, oh, okay, they, yeah, they, yeah, about um, Batman the series. It's lovely. And there's a page on that where it's got a sketch that someone drew within the kind of Batman animated offices. Mm. And it's basically all of the things they can't do. Wow. So it's so Batman's smashing out of a window oh. and he's getting shot by the Joker wow. and Catwoman's coming out there. And so there's all the, there's like drugs in it, there's yeah. like someone getting shot, there's mm. blood, there's nudity, mm. there, there's everything they basically can't do. Love and it. it's got a list like kind of all the things. Mm. But it's really, really clever. I, and it's just, yeah, I mean. But I remember I, there, there is an episode where, where Batman takes an old aging crime lord. To a a hospice, to like a, a a center where his own son is going cold turkey for the drugs that he put on the street. That's actually in an episode of Batman. Yeah, God, I remember insane. that one. It's amazing. But I do slot it alongside something like The Simpsons, yeah. Where, it, it, in the sense of obviously it's not comedy, but they mm. are these twenty minute mm. animated shows which all feel like mini movies yeah man genuinely it's telling that kind of mini story there's an amazing episode I think it's called Joker's Favour yeah where the, be- oh, uh, the, a the opening is incredible it's like the start of a Hitchcock film yes. also, where this guy's just driving along at night and it turns out the Joker is kind of following him. Yeah. And he just he cuts just, him up on the road. Yeah, he keeps cutting him up on the road. And you see it's the Joker. You see his little grin mm. through the car window. And he gradually realises it's the Joker. He gets more and more worried and stressed out. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like, the Joker, like, drives him off the road. And he's <laughs> like, he thinks he's going to kill him. <laughs> but the Joker instead just goes, oh, I'm not going to kill you. Yeah. But because I'm not going to kill you, one day you're going to have to do me a favour. Yeah. I'm going to come and call him. 
And then it cuts to two years later. Yeah. And he's completely forgot about well, it. No, he's relocated and changed yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's almost put himself into witness protection to try and make sure he never gets found. But he obviously thinks, oh, he's fine now. He's yeah. forgotten about it enough. And then he gets a phone call. Yeah, and it's the Joker, it's so and he's amazing. fucking sweating, and oh my god! I mean, that opening is yeah. amazing. I mean, that's as good as own of any kind of classic chiller film. Like, but, yeah, yeah, but just, the, yeah, those those are how they. That's how they should have written John Wick. <laughs> that simplicity. Yeah, yeah. There you <laughs> the go. Yeah, yeah. The only the only, only other thing I'll say about Batman the Animated Series is that um, I used to use them at a time when I was very stressed right. to sleep. Oh, okay. I would, I would I would watch three episodes for bed. For about two years, okay. Um, and because they painted, uh, this is a nice little factoid about the series. They were the first animated show to paint the backgrounds on black paper. Yes, because it's all at yeah. night. Black so on just, black. They just paint windows into the blackness. Yes, and it means that it's visually really dark. It is, and so if, you, if, very, so if very you're dark. tired and you can't get to sleep, watch two, three episodes of that. It's like a glass of warm milk. Yeah, and yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really been there for me. Also, Kevin Conroy is Batman, right? Speaking of heroes, on with the show. Yeah, so the reason I wanted to talk about Allegiance was yes. because my great-grandfather was Irish. He uh, grew up in the what is now uh, the Republic of Ireland and later became the mayor of Mallow mm-hmm. in County Cork. And this was at the time of kind of, you know, well, basically the yeah the Irish uh, Revolution, the Easter Rising. Mm. Um, that's when he was kind of becoming mayor, everything like that. Yeah. He played a big part in that era of kind of Irish politics. Yeah, he was someone who pledged allegiance. Yeah, to the Irish Republic yeah. and that idea. He was an Eamon de Valera man. Okay. Uh, so was for a full Irish Republic, mm-hmm. a free Irish uh, Republic. Mm. You know, wanted the a united Ireland, yeah. everyone together, to be separated from the crown. And Which is interesting because that is a whole other form of allegiance. When I looked into the word uh, allegiance, uh, it has obviously it has the word liege in it, which means servant, and you have a liege lord, and you're you have a liege man. So it's all based right. on the old feudal system. Yes. So it's, so, it, so it's really interesting because I love how the word changed through time. It started off as being like, uh, no, do what your lord says. Yeah. Whoever's, whoever's in charge, whoever's occupied you, you are, you are below them. The beautiful thing about the word is it's now become something that we pledge to each other. We pledge to our fellow man. Or we choose who we pledge allegiance to. And so right. he pledged allegiance to... His, his own people and like to resist this this kind of uh, even more intense attempted kind of allegiance coup I guess yeah completely um he was born in 1880 in mm. Turles Tipperary in Ireland I mean for people I don't know how much your listeners know about kind of the history of England's invasion and occupation of Ireland well, and stuff like that. Yeah. I think in this country, it's not very well educated. It's hard to know in terms of how much things have changed now, mm. or if they have, yeah, or anything like that. But certainly when we were growing up, yeah, we didn't really learn about anything that made us look bad. Yes, 100%. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It took a long time for me to realise that we're the bad guys in Star Wars. It well, took a long time. Yeah, and I'm only like, just getting, getting like proper comfortable with it now. When I was in school, I didn't learn about 
occupation of Ireland. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn about the War of American Independence. Yes. Did slavery. Not, did not learn about the British having slavery. Mm-hmm. It was always very much, oh, that's something those crazy Americans did. <laughs> like, uh, like, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, once uh, once we stopped ruling them, they went crazy <laughs> with the slavery. Like, yeah. Um, it's that thing of just... We haven't had that shit for a few years. <laughs> we have this deluded ideal of the empire yeah. and England. And I think maybe... It's one of those things where, at this point, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, almost, mm-hmm. to a lot of people who voted leave Interesting. and wanted a return to the Empire. Yeah. But do we think that all of those people are no. aware of what an Empire really means? <sighs> no. Like, aware of, kind of, you know, our history as an Empire and all our crimes against mm. the rest of the world? Yeah. Because you go, like, either they do... And they genuinely want to return to that, and they're evil, horrible people mm. who like literally want us to stamp our foot down on the yeah. rest of the world. Yeah, uh, massive racists, everything like that. And I'm sure that there are a yes. lot who are. Yeah. However, at the same time, I think you know you've got to lay some responsibility at the door of the education system in this country mm. that's deliberately kind of shied away everything. I think if you look at what we were taught in school. Everything about England's empire is not made to look bad. Yeah. So it's not made to look good in terms of, oh, wasn't it great? Mm. But because we don't really hear about any of the really bad stuff, mm. it's just a case of kind of like, oh, England was an empire and here it is. And you're like, oh, sounds pretty good. Yeah, England's an empire. Like, yeah. He's like, but they're not you, saying you hear about- a lot about the boats. You hear yeah. a lot about the wars, the, the Nelson and the battles and the Napoleon was a bad sort, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, they're not telling us about any of the terrible shit yeah. that we did to be like, oh, okay. So associate that with the idea of England becoming mm. empire. And then maybe it sounds slightly less good. Mm. To a lot of people, kind of thing. Like, you know, if you confront them with all the terrible things we did, mm. you'd like to think that people would have a slightly different idea yeah. of. I mean, because I think Ireland is a perfect example because of the fact that that is so close to home. Yeah. Like, literally, it's next door to us. You can't. I just think if people were really aware of this history and how close. It was to now, yeah. Then maybe they would have a different idea of kind of you know what what this all means. I mean, just to literally just fill in a bit of history, it, just man. so don't, don't because because we drop some knowledge. Man. Well, because we're literally saying that people yeah. might not know. So please, England please. have claimed sovereignty over Ireland since the Norman invasion of the 12th century. Which Do you had, remember that, right, guys? Yeah, 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 you were there. You were there. <laughs> which had the backing of King Henry II. Normans handed their conquered territory over to the king, but not all of Ireland was conquered. Then there was the Tudor conquest of Ireland in uh, 1542, which came after a failed rebellion against the crown, because obviously, as I say, some of Ireland was conquered, some wasn't. So they tried to rebel, but eventually, you know, there's full conquest, basically. And Henry VIII gets declared king of Ireland, which leads to colonisation. Land gets confiscated by the English. So English landlords come over 
to Ireland and basically take ownership of various different parts of Ireland. The crown had granted this land to them. And by granted, I mean sold. <laughs> um, and most of these colonists uh, were English soldiers or traders, and they become the ruling class of Ireland. Right. And most of this new ruling class, of course, is English yeah. and Protestant. Right. See, okay. this, see, this is exactly yeah. when you're talking about education. When I remember learning about this in school, my takeaway from it, it might just be that I was a dunce, but my takeaway from it was, oh, it's such a shame that the Protestant and the Catholics just don't get along. Like, no, can't I we all just get along? Right. And, it, and I had no idea that it was, or I, it had never really sat, it never really landed with me why this, this happened. It was yeah. more just like, oh, religious people are uh, silly, aren't they? Well, it's funny because I remember actually talking to you about this ages ago. I do, I remember. And you too. actually said kind of like, oh, another bloody religious war. <laughs> <laughs> While clutching your latest Richard Dawkins volume. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's like... I thought you were going to say clutching my pearls. Though, <laughs> yeah, and like and I was like, well, no, it wasn't really about that. And then kind of like I, and that's exactly it because you, I think you a lot of me, you yeah, scared me. But I do think there is a lot of people, and I, I even think in school maybe that I did learn something about that in terms of like um, frame it in this kind of Catholic versus Protestant way, like almost like the English have reframed it to be like, hey. <laughs> nothing to do with us. Yeah. We were just trying to help out while these bloody crazy Catholics and Protestants are going at each other. Uh, brother against brother. It's, it's like a family squabble, guys. Yeah, exactly. So over the years and the centuries, there's loads of attempted further revolts and everything like that. But, you know, it doesn't, doesn't work. Mm. The English continue to rule. Late in the 18th century, two factions of the country become defined. Nationalists, mm-hmm. who were mostly Catholic... Okay. Who want a united island free of the crown. And unionists, who were mostly Protestant, mm-hmm. who were loyal to England. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that's where that comes from in the sense of because you've got to remember this new ruling class comes along who are mostly English mm. and Protestant. Mm. Obviously, that was in like 1542 kind of yeah, thing when yeah, they yeah. start coming over so by the time you get to the 18th century you're talking generations later yeah. so what's happened is like you know you get uh, English landowners stuff who come over marry Irish women yeah, and stuff yeah, like that yeah. then suddenly they, and people are getting born in Ireland there's yeah. a whole new generation of Irish people who right. have now been raised Protestant right. because it's come over but they're still Irish yeah. and now it's this thing of of course they're going to have been raised in such a way of kind of well, obviously the crown is the right thing it's almost, the like, there. it's almost like uh, this is a weird metaphor but like money laundering the conflict, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. like 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 it's now it's like the reason that they're opposed to each other is now untraceable. Yes, because yeah, now they've yeah, all yeah. just grown up Catholic or Protestant with different, but with a kind of shared and yet different history. So yeah, naturally that's kind of where it comes from. In the sense of because Ireland was a Catholic country mm. before the English came along, and now there's this weird thing where, of course, there's a bunch of people who've been raised Protestant who are obviously going to be loyal to the crown. 
And then there's a bunch of people who are very much Irish yeah. who wanting a kind of, you know, free island. Yeah. So, so that's sort that, of where yeah. it comes from. So now we have like a clash of allegiances because as I said earlier, it's like the, you say the ruling class is English. Yes. So yeah, that's yeah. essentially your liege lords have moved in and they've said, we're the liege lords now, so you have to have allegiance to us. Yeah, exactly. But it's not, it's not And you've so. got to remember what a big thing religion was then as well yeah. in the sense of Henry VIII, like, you know, in terms of it was all about being Protestant mm. and everything like mm. that and yeah he was basically having a war with the Catholic Church pretty much because he wanted to get divorced though it wasn't like yeah like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, like it's, it all goes back to one horny fuck that's yeah yeah, yeah. well that's the thing to... is it in terms of yeah not actually anything to do with religion it's the yeah. religion that was right for him like, like, uh, like, like, I, like I studied the Tudors quite a lot in school and that was just like with every other king or queen was that just because Natalie yeah. Dorman was in it like oh hi <laughs> I forgot that <laughs> I bet you studied it closely. I, yeah, I'd cause a geopolitical uh, <laughs> shitstorm for that lady. Um, but no, I think it's like it's like every single one of those monarchs it flipped from Catholic to Protestant, Catholic to Protestant. The Tudors, it was like Mary, then Elizabeth, Catholic, Protestant. So it's like it's so horribly, tragically arbitrary, mm. and yet it caused all these problems. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so in 1801, Ireland officially becomes part of the United Kingdom mm-hmm. after putting down yet another attempted uh, rebellion. You also get the Great Famine of 1845, yeah. which is known in some areas as the Potato Famine. Mm-hmm. Not really referred to as that in Ireland. Yeah. Tend to be referred to as the Great Famine. Yes, this was new to me until yeah. about two months ago when you told me this Yes. And also a comedian on the same week. Oh, really? An Irish comedian said exactly the same thing. So in the same week I learned that this that it was a complete it was economic warfare. Yeah, potato famine is kind of this really reductive kind of term, I think, into used in and that's very much when I was growing up, that's what I kind of because that's what it was referred to, the potato famine. Mm. And I think it almost makes a sort of joke of it. Yeah. It kind of go, Oh, those Irish and their oh, potatoes. <laughs> like uh, yeah, it's this weird kind of well, that's noise I mean it's a really, really terrible thing. One million people die from starvation disease. Yeah. Two million people emigrated to the US and Canada because it was the, the potato blight was so terrible. Yeah. Uh, the potato blight basically infected potato crops, which was kind of the staple food of Ireland. So between the emigration and the deaths, yeah. it reduced the population of the country by almost a quarter. Wow. I mean, that that's is, insane. That is insane. insane. Like, yeah, a quarter of the country's population that's, gone. That's half a thousand snap, basically. Like, that's insane. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because that Gaelic which is the Irish language, mm. basically begins to die out as a language. Because mm. a huge amount of Irish speakers die mm. or leave. Mm. So then it's that thing of the English is taking over even more because English is becoming the prominent language yeah. of Ireland oh. because so many Irish people are actually fucking dead. Mm. Um, <laughs> like, you know, and in school, we're just learning like, oh, act of God, the blight. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And us. you get... It begins this thing of it's been talked about England kind of remapping Ireland yeah. and stuff, which is something that's quite disputed actually, kind of mm. thing in terms of how the truth of that situation yeah. and what exactly was happening there. And it's all quite muddy, but you know, certainly it was a thing of Gay was dying out of his language, English was becoming the prominent language, mm. and when it comes down to it, whatever way you cut it, 
that was because of the <laughs> English fucking invading and yeah. conquering well, well, Ireland. Was it also? I don't know. If was it also that like England could have added, could have offered more assistance, and so it was almost like there's this horrible tragedy occurring, and then by inaction they're getting uh, yeah. benefits from it. So many people blame the English rule of the country for the famine. Right. Saying it was basically an artificial famine as when the potato blight began, mm. the English didn't impose any export ban during that time. Now, right. if you look at the history of other famines, because obviously in this time there were lots of other famines in other countries and stuff like that, it was standard practice that during a famine there'd basically be an export ban mm-hmm. and all food resources produced would be kept within the country yeah. to make sure that people were okay. If you actually look at the because they didn't do any export ban, <laughs> there was actually enough food resources produced during the famine to feed the entire population of Ireland. Mm. But due to the English continuing to want to export, right. this led to the famine. Okay. So it's that thing of they could mm. have saved this food. So then it becomes an idea of, well, they actually deliberately murdered those people. Yeah. It's that difficult thing of, did they just literally want to wipe the Irish mm. population mm. out? Yeah. Or were they just going money, money, money? Can I ask in you terms of, can we ask, can still make can money. Can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Is uh, all, this, all this stuff, is this something that you've learned, passed down through your family? Is this like, does your understanding of this part of history... Did you have to educate yourself or was uh, it something that you were I always mean, aware of from it, your father? It's a mix. I mean, my dad is very obsessive about family tree mm-hmm. and family history. He has done like a huge amount of research over the years. He's travelled to Ireland dozens of times to kind of get more and more information. Mm. But a lot of this stuff is just kind of national record. Yeah, in terms yeah. of like, you know, you know, my, my dad it was raised in Essex mm-hmm. uh, in Dagenham. His father, who's my grandfather, was an Irish immigrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously he was the son of Frank Dempsey. He's my great-grandfather, nice. who's the guy we're going to talk about today mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, but in regards to the famine, mm-hmm. yeah, so this is a quote from uh, John Mitchell, uh, a writer uh, in the 1700s. He said, The Almighty indeed sent the potato blight, but the English created the famine. Mm. And, you know, I think that's, it, it makes perfect sense. You, you look at what happened is whether it was to do with money or whether it was just to do with actually wanting to wipe the Irish population yeah. out. You know, whatever, they they didn't fucking help. Yeah. It, um, they definitely weren't treating it as if, like, we are one family. They definitely weren't treating it as, like, now that we've come and occupied you, you're, you're with us. It's 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 like, no, yeah. how can we still continue to use you and make money off you? We're, this is profitable. We need exports. We need, like, this. And it's yeah. like, so we don't care about your people. It's one of those things where it's like, they're both fucking terrible. Yeah. Because it's, it's either they went, well, we care about money more than people yeah. and kept on doing that. But they were like, they weren't just thinking, like, oh, yeah, we really want them to die but they were thinking well we don't mind if they die as long as we're getting some money yeah exactly. going like yeah or they did deliberate both uh, it's either worse? callousness yeah. or genuine evil kind of like <laughs> the difference between sociopathy and psychopathy you know? yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Like, oh my god none of them are good options and this is also where a lot of the hatred comes between catholics and protestants is the sense of not only 
you know, were they on different sides of the fence mm. w- with this? Um, but Catholics were highly prejudiced against during this time um, because of the fact that you've got to remember. So the ruling class is now Protestant. So Catholics were prejudiced against. They were prohibited from purchasing or leasing land. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have as many voting rights, education, mm-hmm. everything like that. So there was lots and lots of restrictions on them. A lot of these were lifted in 1829, but Catholics did mostly continue to live in poverty because now there's kind of hundred year, hundreds and hundreds of years of kind of, you know, them being basically the lower class. So and so they're naturally... A religious lower class. That's yeah, so, so they're naturally going to continue to be that, basically. Yeah, sure. During the time of the famine as well, British landlords evicted farmers who couldn't pay due to the famine, causing more death. Because, and this is another thing, you know, again, it comes down to money in the sense of suddenly there's all these people now, they're not... They're all farmers. They're not making any money because they're potato blight. They're evicted from their homes. And about 250,000 people are evicted Jesus. from their homes because of that. You may as well say that those people all then died. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, potato blight does come back later. But by this point, like I say, a lot of these restrictions are lifted. Mm. And it's a lot better for people. They're able to kind of survive, basically. Mm. But I think it's important to get this kind of context to understand the world that my great-grandfather, who was born in 1880, was being born into. Yeah. And, you know, the history there, you know, being born a Irish Catholic mm-hmm. at that time, he would have instantly been living in, you know, quite bad conditions mm. and grown up kind of in that kind of oppressive state. Yeah. He got married in 1908 to Helena Greensmith and moved to Mallow in County Cork, uh, which is where he became mayor. Uh-huh. Uh, he worked on the railways. Uh, he was an engine fireman at first, which means he kind of stoked the boiler. Which means he's already coal. a badass in my book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he worked on the... <laughs> That's the end of the story, right? Yeah, yeah. he worked on the railways all his life. And he kind of moved on different things. He became a driver at one point and stuff like that. Uh, but he also became mayor as well mm-hmm. um, at the same time. He has four children, including my grandfather. Then, sadly, his wife dies in 1915 of diphtheria. And so they were only actually married for seven years. Oh. And that time, they had four kids. Oh. And as a result of her death, he throws himself into politics. Right. In 1915. So, yes. 1915, the year before the Easter Rising. Um, he takes up the cause. Yeah, exactly that. And it, it is a thing. He never remarried. Okay. Never seemed to kind of really show any huge interest in kind of any other women mm. or anything like that. And it does seem to be a thing of he got married, mm. had kids, mm. like lots of kids, in a very, yeah, short, yeah, yeah. In a very, in a very short time, <laughs> and lived this really loving kind of relationship. And then she passed away at a very young age. Mm. Well, I mean, he's only like 35 right. in 1916, like, kind of, you know, yeah. when the Easter Rising starts. So, I mean, yeah, these are young people. I mean, it just goes mm. to show, I mean... It's romantic. These are the kind of things that, you know, we don't have to really think about as much yeah, a- 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 anymore. And obviously, when you're being raised in that kind of world, you're going to be more prone to things like infection yeah. and disease and stuff like that. He just completely threw himself into politics and went, right, this is my life now. Yeah. And like that part of my life's done. Well, because I met the love of my life. That's done. He let's, let's let's fight for something now. Yeah, because his wife's parents 
who he actually who actually lived with him mm. as well. He kind of took care of them as well, but they basically raised the kids. Like oh, uh, my grandfather was pretty much raised by his grandmother mm. because obviously, if you look at what my great grandfather's doing, he was working yeah. on the railways. Then he was also mayor, <laughs> and then he was also heavily involved in the Irish Republican movement. Right. He uh, was a member of Sinn Féin, mm-hmm. um, which is a party that was formed later by Eamon de Valera, who was kind of one of the heads of the kind of uh, movement mm-hmm. for kind of, you know, Free Ireland. You might have seen him played by Alan Rickman in oh, right. Michael Collins. <laughs> I'm going to watch that. Uh, it's very, very good. Uh, now stars the problematic Starring Liam problematic Neeson, Liam Neeson. <laughs> uh, in the lead as Michael Collins. And yeah, almost as problematic as Julia Roberts' accent. He's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's very, very good in it. He's got real anger and fire to him in I that bet, film. Yeah. He really, really has. I mean, and it's surprising because, I mean, there's no black guys about. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hey, Ziggy. Oh, hello. Oh, a cat's walked in. A cat's walked in, so that's it. The podcast's yeah, off. Yeah, like, <laughs> Oh, kitty kasho. Isn't she lovely? Oh, hello. <laughs> she is really, really lovely. So cute. Liam is literally stroking the cat. Oh, well. She doesn't. I don't know if she likes being. Um, she's okay, actually. I think you've got. She's her. okay, aren't you? Yes, you are. She claws me in the face. But go full <laughs> Sam Jackson. <laughs> like uh, get clawed like Captain Marvel. And to do my fanboy rant, I did not. Agree with that. Yeah, well, yeah, no, me neither. It's like, it's what like, the fuck is that about? Why set up something that's meant to make him look like a complete, like, like, like he's had a story behind it and have it just be an arbitrary face swipe? Yeah, from a I, cat? I was like, to the point that I was like, that can't even be it. Yeah. You know what I mean? In terms yeah. of that's got to be bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just, it's just, it's just any kind of prequel shit doesn't work. It never works. Nobody likes it when you find out how something happened. Uh, well, yeah, in terms of... I, I was fine with that being set in... That film being set in the past. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was fine with that film being set in the past, but it was that thing of going, yeah, why put... It just... I mean, it almost... That moment <laughs> seemed to be something where it was like... It felt like they were trolling the fans. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? In terms yeah, of going, fuck yeah, you, fuck you. <laughs> and I'm convinced like that that can't be it well, it's, like that, it's like, got to yeah. be like later on they're going to be like oh, of course that's not actually how he lost his eye you idiots well, it's like, it's like, like, yeah. like all, the, all the dialogue about the eye in the previous films is like lost my one good eye like there's some story behind it and then the one bit goes the last time I trusted somebody I lost an eye and it's like lost it, I trusted it was a cat. cat I stroked <laughs> a cat well hey the, literally the cat broke his trust well it's not even a cat though is it <laughs> It's a uh, it's an it's alien, alien cat kind of thing. Less, uh, Even though that was is that what they were saying, or are they saying that all cats are those things? Oh, do you think so? I think oh, I th- that's what I want it to be. Oh, I want it to no. be that all cats are alien. Oh, uh, maybe and worshipped. Uh, I think planets. yeah, maybe I like that better than that one just being an alien randomly. Yeah, but oh my god, like yeah, you expect. But at the same time, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, why can't it just be a cat? Oh, you mean you just wanted it to scratch his face? <laughs> no, no, I'm like, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> that would be oh, it's like the John Wick thing you want it to just be a yeah, dog literally you, just, just keep be... it pure keep your animals pure in your fiction guys yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just 
That's exactly it. Um, yeah, it was talked about my great grandfather. Yes. So this brings us up to the Easter Rising. Okay, right. so. 1916, Easter Rising, most significant rebellion uh, for basically hundreds of years. Armed insurrection by actually a reasonably small amount of Irish Republicans. Mm -hmm. The idea of rebellion had become quite unpopular uh, in Ireland by this point because they'd been squashed and beaten down so many times. So many rebellions. I mean, this is over a period of hundreds of years Mm. had tried and failed. The last major one was in 1798. Yeah. So this is over 100 years later. The Easter Rising lasts for six days. It begins on Easter Monday, 1916. Basically, what happened is the Irish Republicans seized key locations in Dublin mm-hmm. and proclaimed them an Irish Republic. Wow. So it's saying that, you know, Dublin, we're going to take over. Dublin is going to be an Irish Republic. Hmm. The British Army sent in thousands of reinforcements. There's Jeez. actual street fighting all over Whoa. the city. So literally because they are trying to basically take over Dublin to proclaim an Irish Republic, the, the troops are coming in and they're already bedded in in what Dublin because obviously the British aren't really ready for this to happen yeah. because they've had over a hundred years mm. of basically, you know, the Irish kowtowing to them and obviously they've been dealing with the bloody famine as well. So mm. they you haven't even been in a state to fight or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So now it's actually happening literally... There's a brilliant documentary actually made by Brendan O'Carroll uh, who is Mrs. Brown. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I mean, I I despise (laughs) Mrs. Brown's boys, right? I will say that. However, Brendan O'Carroll, the guy um, from Mrs. Brown's boys, I actually quite like... I I say this... It's so hard for him to say this. Well, no, the problem is, is I swear I heard something about him recently that, of course, like, you know, at least what we're talking about, you can't like or respect anyone who works in the entertainment industry. Because I say, oh, I actually quite like like him as a person, but then I think I heard something about him lately. I was like, oh, God, mate, that's not so good. But... Good documentarian. uh, But, yeah, however, he made an excellent documentary about the Easter Rising um, for the BBC. And it's really brilliant. He's not doing it as Mrs. Brown. No. <laughs> uh, he's doing it as himself. You've got to get it in the kid's head somehow. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really, really great. Like, genuinely, he's really interesting. He kind of goes on to the streets where it happened and basically kind of you know, reimagines what was happening so there. It's basically, and... it's basically a siege of Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's really excellent. If you can track it down, uh, it's really worth watching. Okay. Um, Basically, the British Army have got much greater numbers and greater weaponry, so they suppress the rising Mm -hmm. and declare martial law over Ireland. Three and a half thousand people taken prisoner. Okay. Many of those people played no part in the rising. Mm -hmm. About 1,800 people are sent to prison or internment camps in Britain. The word internment has never, ever been associated (laughs) with anything good. Uh, Most of the leaders of the rising were executed. Um, We were talking about Michael Collins and uh, Amy de Valera earlier. Mm. They managed to kind of basically escape Mm. execution. Mm. Now, these kind of unjust arrests and the way the British reacted to the Easter Rising actually results in a massively increased popularity and support for Irish independence. Okay. Okay. Is the, so, the spark that lights the fire. Yeah, and my great-grandfather, he'd already begun to fall into politics, but of course this is a year after his wife died, mm. and like a lot of people, he would have been very motivated by yeah. this. 
Um, because he was part of the organised railway men of Ireland. Okay. Who were basically forced into action during the Easter Rising because on the day of the Easter Rising, they were asked to transport loads and loads of troops hmm. with weaponry and stuff yeah. like that. And they had had meetings uh, and basically agreed to refuse to carry weapons for the British Army because they were going to be used to kill their own countrymen. They just didn't see that as right. So what happened is obviously the English need to use the railways in order for them to get around and fight the Irish uh, rebels. Uh, But they said, we will transport you, Mm -hmm. but not carrying weapons of death. Right. So, so it's if, almost pacifism. Yes. Yeah, so if you dump the weapons, you can come on the train, kind of thing. Like, yeah, but we're not going to do it. What happens is they hold that position for about six months. Wow. Uh, but the railways are under government control, and obviously English government. And this is kind of the railways are one of the biggest kind of employers in yeah. Ireland. The English turn around because they bring in loads of lorries for their troops, obviously. Mm, mm. And they basically say, well, if you continue doing this, not only are we going to fire people who are involved. So what would happen is they'd go, like the driver of the train would go, oh, I'm not going to carry your guns. Mm. So they would have to leave them. And then once they got to the other end, by that point, the army would have alerted uh, the authorities that they had refused to Mm. let them bring the uh, weapons. Then they would be instantly dismissed at the other end of the journey. So the line, pal. Yeah, so it would be a case of really all these people, as soon as they showed that act of rebellion, that'd Mm. be it, they're out. Allegiance, these people, as you say, he he was born into this world Mm. with all this history, but he didn't remember a time when Ireland was was, was free. He was born into this world, and now he's presented with this moment... This is your moment to choose your allegiance. Yes. Yeah, yeah, What's I think you're completely be? right. Yeah, What's yeah. It be? Because and it, it is a motivating people, yeah. factor. It's after this very much that's like, you know, his wife passed away mm. and then obviously suddenly a year later this incident happens. And I think it, it pushed a lot of people because a lot of people were forced basically to pick a side. I don't know if we'll ever be presented with a moment like that in no. our lives. No, no, no. I mean, it is going on all over the world all the time. This is this. It's not history. It's, it's somewhere in the world something like this is happening. Well, this is a weird fucking thing, isn't it? In terms of we feel as if this feels so separate from us. Yeah. Even though it is literally like just over a hundred years ago. Yeah. Just over a yeah. hundred years ago. I mean, you're connected by blood. To yeah. The main yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, my, his son, yeah. my grandfather, you know, I knew like for in my life, you met like the geezer. I met that guy. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's that close. Yeah. And it's that crazy thing of, it feels like we could never be confronted with a situation like this. Mm. For the same time, it also feels like we are on a real precipice mm. of something all the time. Yeah. Like we like to believe we live in a very civilized time Enlightened. now. Enlightened. Where basically as a Western culture, like something like this could never happen again. Yeah. Well. Wow. But we also live in a really, really crazy time. Yeah. And I feel like we don't know what's going to happen. Also, a time when activism is not frowned upon, but people are very ironic about it and mm, say like, "Oh, mm. you're just virtue signaling, or you're, you know, you're, yeah." There's well, it's that of, thing of, kind of people who try and, you know, try and actually fight fascism or, uh, you know, uh, 
governments doing things that they shouldn't be doing are kind of labelled as like just kind of showing off and so. But it's that difficult thing, isn't it? Because now we live in this weird time where there's there's lots of different ways to show your discontent mm. with what is happening. Yeah. Whether that be social media, which and I should say I completely disagree with this yeah. idea of people going, oh, you just do so on social media. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think. I think that's a very backwards view because yeah. the fact is, sorry, the internet is the biggest mass communication yeah. tool in the entire world. Yeah. And Tell actually... people in China who are fighting for, yeah. for information. To like, you really properly. believe if Martin Luther King was alive today, he wouldn't be utilising social fucking media? <laughs> like, he'd be he all would have over a that fucking shit. podcast and a half. Uh, of co- mate, of course, MLK would have... <laughs> The fucking daddy of a podcast. Oh my god, 100%. I, I would, that would yeah. be such a good podcast. Um, imagine, imagine Martin Luther King then telling you to check out Squarespace. Well, imagine the episode <laughs> where he gets Malcolm X on. Oh! Immediately like, <laughs> oh! <laughs> top of the charts. Top of the charts. Yeah. Oh my god. Literally, showdown. Um, but it's it's that thing of, of course they would. And, you know, there's been loads of amazing movements that have been motivated by social media, like Black Lives Matter. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's just mad to think of the idea of people trying to uh minimize that as if it's not important work yeah completely but at the same time it's that thing of going with uh marching mm-hmm. people minimize that as well very much yeah social media it's either it gets minimized by people and you're like oh shouldn't you be doing so a bit more yeah, yeah. or it will be called terrorism like yeah, yeah in terms exactly. of like whatever you do it's just kind of like well what do you want? But like, also, also there's yeah. an apathy because I remember my brother going and marching against the Iraq War in 2003. Yes, and it's just like nothing happened. We all no. said, we, we all yeah. said, yeah, don't fucking do it, yeah. and it didn't fucking matter. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of like you said, like when he, when before the Easter Rising, Rising, everyone was like, well, it's just how things are. We've been this, this yeah. we've been like yeah, this yeah, for yeah. a while. And I think, especially in today's world when I think about the word allegiance, we there's become this prevalence of the idea of the citizen of the world. Most right. young people don't consider themselves as having allegiance to a government, even if they're protected by mm-hmm. and clothed by that government. So you, it's, there's enough, enough uh, I guess the word detachment, to be able to say, right, well, there's a lot of bad things going on in the world, but I think of myself more as like a kind of a, like, I, yeah. I kind of just love all people, so I don't really feel like I need to get involved. Well, yeah, the whole thing is, like, I don't see colour. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, if you don't see colour, you're part of the fucking problem. So, that's it. <laughs> you please do not fly an airplane, because uh, <laughs> colour blindness is a serious condition, and you could put somebody's life at risk. Um, but yeah, and that complacency is what led them to be able to attempt something like the Easter Rising. Totally. Because of the fact that the British were just kind of like, oh, it's fine now. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. We rule and that's it. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Like, you know, there's nothing to worry about here. Of course, after this, they fucking bring loads of troops in. And yeah. there's 100,000 British troops occupying Ireland okay. at this point. And that includes kind of... Uh, Irish Constabulary and the Black and Tans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this now, this is an occupied country. That's the thing. You know, when people think 
I don't think they ever think of Ireland as an occupied country. Yeah. Like people would think of occupied France in the Second World yes. War. Yeah. But that's no. exactly what it was fucking like. Completely. Like, completely you know, you could good. make an inglorious bastard style film yes. about the occupation of Ireland. Yes. You totally could. We just think of them they got sexy accents. That's yeah. That's what we thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice place to go on holiday. And the more disturbed the area, and by disturbed, what that means is the more rebellious the area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the higher amount Troubled. of yeah, the higher amount of British troops and black and towns there would be occupying it. Can I also, when you say Irish constabulary, you mean that some of these troops are Irish, kind of moved in centuries ago, and so now some of the, it's like it literally is brother against brother. Well, this is yeah. I mean, it does very much become brother against brother later, but this is the RIC, the Royal Irish Constabulary. Mm. A lot of these people in the Royal Irish Constabulary are Irish. Right. Or at least Irish by blood. Yeah. Um, but like you say, I mean, who's to say in terms of... That's what of, I mean. It's, it's, it's split allegiance. But yeah. they're also, you know, not necessarily because a lot of these people in the RIC, they're loyal to the British crown because mm. obviously it's, it's the British crown of governing the country, but that's their job. Yeah, exactly. It does. So not necessarily all those people are kind of, you know, bad people as well, it was. Or this, like, but it's so just, you know, it's, it's their job. And what happens is obviously like any kind of occupation, the people who kind of side mm. with the people opposing you yeah. are going to get treated better yeah. and everything like that. And also... But then they're also going to be resented more as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you've got to yeah. look out after yourself at the yeah. end of the day. In 1917, there's an Easter parade held in Mallow, where my great-grandfather is the uh, The mayor. It was commemorating the Easter Rising. Okay. So it was saying, hey, the Easter Rising was great, wasn't it? Symbolic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And obviously, (laughs) the British don't like that, so it's actually attacked and broken up by the Royal Irish (laughs) Conservatory. And it's incidents like that that lead to Mallow being seen as a very disturbed area. Okay. Um, because it's a rebellious area and there's a lot of British troops there. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, try to keep it down, basically. And my great-grandfather, because he became heavily involved in the movement for a free island, mm. um, was seen as kind of a problem character. Right. So his house was raided kind of loads and loads of times over the years. It was because they were looking for things that they could use to arrest him, mm. try to find evidence against him so they could bring here charge against him. And like at one point he applied for a passport mm. and they started raiding his house more often because they didn't want him to have a passport. They wanted to come up with a legitimate reason as to why they wouldn't have to give him one. I think it's really funny is that now I can't think of an Englishman who wouldn't kill for an Irish passport right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very, very, very true. Um, So, yeah, they were raiding his house all the time. Now, often what would happen is my great-grandfather would not actually be there when they raided the house because Mm. he'd be working or dealing with mayor business or breaking the curfew because, talking about kind of occupation, there was a curfew in place Mm. in the town. So, I mean, that's the thing. Imagine that. Imagine being in that situation where you would have to be in by 9pm in the evening and if you weren't off the streets you were in danger of getting shot. Yeah. Also, like... I mean, and having your house raided, you've just mentioned, like, 
three things that we have no concept yeah. of in our world. Yeah. Literally nothing. And at one point they came to his house and they searched, found some papers, mm-hmm. which they might have seen a little malicious in some way, and they took them away mm-hmm. and kept them. And as I say, most of the time he wasn't around when the house would get raided. However, one night he was in and he was actually thinking about breaking the curfew, which he would usually do. Yeah. Um, but his daughter asked him to sleep at home that night. Aww. And because of that, he said, okay, I will. Because the thing is, his young children would have known, obviously, that mm. he was basically breaking the law, essentially. Well, they've probably been in while all these guys have been yeah, in yeah, the yeah, house. Yeah. Imagine being a kid and seeing, like, guys with boots knock the door in and ask what Yeah, exactly. Is. Like, you know, and... I, they would have known that he would basically was placing himself in yeah. danger, but they wouldn't have quite known no. you know, the realities of what was going on. So she asked him to sleep at home. He took her advice and said he would. So he went back inside, sat down in the kitchen, started reading, and then <laughs> his house was raided because there was a bang on the door from a gun butt, mm-hmm. a rifle butt, wow. and it was military open and he was asked if he was inside he said he was inside with his child at that point house has been surrounded by the military right okay i mean he's he's insane you You, think about that and you think about like the idea of like loads of troops surrounding house with rifles yeah you're painting such a picture and he'd been surrounded by military yeah and he actually says in this is from a testimony that he gave. I'm yes, reading yes. out of the Mallow Field Club Journal. This is volume 34, published in 2016 by the Mallow Archaeological and Historical Society. Yeah. And this is basically an extract from a testimony that he gave in America about the situation in Ireland. It's really I've actually read the entire document, mm. which is like hundreds and hundreds of pages, wow. like I think. But uh so he he was asked about all kinds of things and he was talking about obviously his part in the uh rebellion and everything like that. So they're surrounding the house and he actually says here it would have been madness to try and get away at this point, because mm. you know, if you try to get out of the window I'll say yeah yeah yeah. Uh, he said you can't get away after they surround the house the head of this uh, one of the soldiers came in with a revolver in his hand and his daughter saw the revolver in the officer's hand and thought that he was going to shoot my great grandfather and she threw herself (laughs) in front of my great grandfather and shouted oh daddy you're going to be shot Oh my god! I mean, Imagine, yeah, oh my god. If you're throwing yourself in front of your father, you're like, oh. he's gonna be shot. At this point, my great grandfather turned to the officer and said, "There's no occasion for that sort of thing. There's a child here." <laughs> to which the soldier replied, "Oh, that is right." I put down his revolver. Quite right. I don't believe there's any uh, occasion for such uh, action. No. And um, he actually says here, he was more courteous than some you might meet. That's beautiful. He said, Mr. Dempsey, I've quite a lot of correspondence of yours in the military barracks, and you can get that correspondence any time you call for it. I said, I don't know what correspondence you have from me, because you took the correspondence away in my absence. I said, don't you? Don't you think, since you took it away, you ought to bring it back 
He said, I don't see what there's wrong about asking you to come to the barracks for it. <laughs> I said, no, but considering the fact that you took it away, you might bring it back. He said, well, then I will send it back. And then he went away. And he didn't. He never sent this back. Right. Like, yeah. And it's this, uh, what was happening? It's like the politest Mexican standoff yeah, yeah. ever in the history of the world. But this, the crazy thing is, what was happening is basically they were trying to lure him yeah. to the local military barracks, yeah. which he would have known. Yeah. And the idea would have been that once he got there, yeah. they would have potentially tortured him yeah. or anything like that for information, potentially killed him yeah. or anything like that, yeah. because it would have been basically their rules once he yeah. got into yeah. the military yeah. barracks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, you just think, what? and he obviously knew that. But, but the, 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 idea, the only person in the room who didn't know that was the little girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, co- oh, completely... Would you like to come to the barracks so we can torture and kill him? And it's like, oh, no, I, I'd rather not go to the barracks so you can torture <laughs> yeah. and kill me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to return to my earlier statements about you bringing my fucking papers back so that I don't have to go to the barracks and you can torture and kill me. Yeah, he, he could have <laughs> And he actually says, it, it's funny, he says at this point... It made me very plucky that he did not arrest me because mm. if he had any definite charge against me, which he could prove, he would have arrested me. Wow! So and Lucky he's and he, oh my God. exactly. So he was going actually. You know, when I read these things, man, there's definitely a real excitement mm. about being involved in those kind of situations, and I do get that thing. Like you think. It's a thrill just to Taking read it. a stand. Because yeah. you take a stand of being in that position and going like, it must have been crazy hard. Yeah. But at the same time, there, of course, there's going to be an adrenaline rush all yeah. those situations. Of, you're like, oh my God. Like, yeah, it's like, I could yeah. have just fucking died. Well, man. Well, like, yeah. Yeah, so when you read something like that, you do put, I put myself into that situation. Yeah. yeah and yeah. you're related to the cat. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, insane. of course. It, it's absolutely... Do you ever think, like, what would you do in that situation? Do you ever imagine the scenario like that? What would I do if, if my family was in danger? You know what I mean? Or if, you know, And then, like, what cause is strong enough for you to to, to stand by it? And it's just, it's incredibly <sighs> well, heady stuff. The, the thing is, when I read my great-grandfather talk, I think it's just... I think he just saw this stuff as kind of his duty, like, moralistically. Mm. I don't think it was so much to do... With his family, although obviously, you know, the fact that he had a young family would have been part of it that if fueled anything, him. He's actually kind of putting, he's risking. Yeah, well, it, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he just saw it as a as a thing that needed to be done. Hmm. Like a, a thing that, like, you know, he just saw it as, as a man, like something like people were coming to his country, to his town hmm. and occupying it hmm. and basically kind of you know, murdering his fellow countrymen yeah. and kind of oppressing them. Mm. And he saw it as his kind of duty to fight back, basically. I guess. And if you, if you, you, you yet again compare it to our time or our small part of the world, there's so many, so many less distractions. I don't want to say life was simpler, but I mean, like, in terms of, like, you're the mayor of a town, bad stuff's happening... Mm. You have your own morals, you stand by them. Whereas it, it, we have, like, oh, but, uh, you know... I, I just got Netflix and I, I need to watch the latest series of, you know, like, like, well, yeah, I mean, he we, didn't we, have to check yeah, Twitter our, every five that's minutes. That's what I'm saying. So our far, lives, yeah. our lives are just like, we can distract ourselves from well, the things that are wrong. I mean, this world. is, this is the thing, isn't it? In the sense that now we distract ourselves with content. Yeah. And there's more content than there's ever yes. been. 
There's too much. I'm adding We're never to it right. Get... We're adding to it right we, now. We, we are literally <laughs> right now. Some poor fucker is listening to this. Yeah. And they going like, I mean, this is going to be probably a two hour podcast. Yeah. If anyone's listening to this podcast, wake up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are you doing with your life? Are you listening to this? I'm talking about my great grandfather. He rebelled. He almost died. Like, what are you doing? Nothing. Shame on you. <laughs> And shame on us. <laughs> Go to iTunes and unsubscribe. <laughs> Give me a one-star review. Delete this podcast right now. <laughs> Delete your podcast app. What the fuck is going on? Don't listen to it on the way to work and then quit your job. You're just filling time. <laughs> Pick up a gun. <laughs> and fight. Against the impressive government we have now. Oh, oh. Oh. Okay, but, I'm glad uh, we got that off our chest. But it is... But yeah, it is this thing. A lot of people talk about talk about grand conspiracies about us being distracted by corporations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the, the thing the, is, well, I think uh, what's it called? It's called the something of uh, manufacturing consent. Yeah, I um, mean Chomsky style. It's it's one of those things where I, I watched They Live for the first time the <gasps> other fun. day. Yeah, very good. And obviously, it now seems even better yeah. now. Because it actually applies more now than ever. Yeah. And, you know, the, the whole thing, if people haven't seen it, they live. It's a John Carpenter film from the 80s. It stars a wrestler. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. That's it, yeah. And he's uh, wandering about and he gets a, a pair of shades at one point <laughs> where he can see suddenly the truth of everything. <laughs> and now there's, there's if you look at an advert... Instead of the advert, it's just a big black sign saying "consume." And you can see things. it. Turns out, certain people are aliens, and with with the shades, he can see them. Yeah. And yeah, it's that thing. The whole idea of that is yeah, meant to be that we're being distracted, mm. isn't it? And Even that has raids and collaborators, and like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. And I mean, I don't. About. And the thing is, it's hard to know if any of that, if there's any truth to that whatsoever, or if it's just a case of content makes lots of money mm. and there's now more opportunities for it than ever. Mm. And actually, in the horrible world that we now live, <laughs> if we have opportunities to distract ourselves, let's, take, let's take them because yeah. the world is horrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right it's like now. that Elon Musk quote it's like uh, all millennials do is eat avocado it's like what else we're gonna do we yeah, can't, yeah. Uh, we can't hey, buy a house hey Elon I ain't eating avas no more not <laughs> since I heard about blood avocados oh shit really you not heard about no, the blood avocados no what's going on can't even fucking eat avocados <laughs> anymore mate like now we can't have avocados we can't have avocados avocados <laughs> mate worse industry than diamonds oh my god now like literally it's there is now only one like town or so in the world that produces non-conflict avocados. Conflict avocados. Yeah, 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 yeah. Literally, the cartels have taken over the avocado oh game, my God. right? Because obviously they can only be grown in certain countries right. and everything like that. Cartels realise that lots of fucking gentrification, man. Oh, Those are all shit. your bougie little cafes. They were opening everywhere, smashed ava for top thing on the menu, oh, all yeah. the little hipsters loving the avocados, oh right? <laughs> the cartels went, there's money to make in this. Holy shit. And they took over the avocado game, mate. Wow. And now there is only one town in the world where they fought back, collaborated with the police to basically beat the cartels. I, I'm, expect, I, I'm imagining a kind of seven samurai setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, imagine this next episode, season five for Narcos. <laughs> Avocado Gate. Like, uh, yeah. Seriously, Leo DiCaprio, get on it. Get the word out. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a high budget Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood Avocado the, blood sequel avocados. With, with Leo in the South African accent. <laughs> I'm from Rhodesia. So I have an avocado and I'm not afraid to use it. At some point he will go, <laughs> does that in every film. So but, yeah, there you go. What were we talking about? We were talking we about... distracted um, by blood avocados. Your great your great fat grandfather had just uh, miraculously talked his way out of being uh, yes. tricked into the, uh, into the custody of the English. Exactly. Um, fast forward to 1920... Which is not long ago. What happened was Mallow, the town that my great-grandfather was the uh, mayor of... Was he the mayor the whole time? Was he always the the mayor? uh, While this was all going on, yeah. um, It was burnt to the ground by the British. This was because on the 27th of September 1920, the military barracks of Mallow was attacked by the IRA. Right. About 30 men attacked it, guerrilla movement, led by a guy, fun enough, called Liam Lynch. Oh, Liam Lynch. Uh, who we were reading about earlier. Yes. During this raid, the idea lots of raids would happen on military uh, barracks raided by the IRA, who had just kind of come about at this time. The idea would be that they'd strip them of their weapons. Mm. Most of the time, these were pretty like non-violent, mm. in the sense that obviously they had guns and they were kind of you know going in there but not many people wouldn't really get hurt because they would time it very well Mm. surprise them when there weren't many people around get in take the guns get out however on this occasion when this happened again they planned most of the soldiers were out kind of exercising the horses they came in during the raid the sergeant major of the barracks was shot and died four or five hours later, something that had been considered a legal act of war. Hmm. Basically, they took all the arms held in the barracks and they sent for a doctor and a priest for the sergeant major. As I said, the majority of the military were out exercising their horses. Uh, one of the other soldiers who survived the raid went off to tell the troops about what had happened. Those troops headed to the town on horseback Everyone in the town, as soon as they heard about what had happened with the raid, knew potentially what could be coming. Because in other towns across Ireland, when there had been acts of insurrection like this, it led to burnings Mm. where towns had been burnt. And obviously they feared that kind of reprisal, even though... On this occasion, there were about 30 guys who attacked the barracks. Only about two or three of them were actually from Mallow. Mm. The majority of them were just IRA mm. uh, troops mm. from mm. elsewhere. Mm. So it didn't really have anything to do yeah. with anyone in the town. Yeah, your, your grandfather wasn't with the IRA? No, my great-grandfather wasn't with them. Like He wasn't part of the IRA. Mm. Um, he was part of the uh, movement for mm. a free island, everything mm. like that. But he wasn't part of the IRA. Yeah. <clears throat> or it's not as far as we're aware. Mm, they're all kind of they're all connected by the cause, but they're not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So it's all different ways of yeah, kind of yeah. fighting and stuff. And further, basically, further complicating an already yeah, very complicated yeah, yeah. issue. Uh, the local priests of the town asked the commanding officers uh, if there would be any reprisals. So obviously, because this time, you know, especially in Ireland, the priests. They would have been the real kind yeah. of like, you know, guys in the town. negotiator. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These are the people you would have sent out. And basically, they were told 
that there wouldn't there wouldn't be any reprisals. They mm. would be absolutely fine, and they were told by the commanding officers of the uh, barracks to get everyone off the streets by nine pm. The curfew, mm-hmm. and this was the colonel who was saying that the priest believed the colonel's pledge because he was a gentleman. Mm-hmm. So they believed like oh, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, there were people. Standard. Uh, there were people in town who didn't trust the military who actually left that day uh-huh. um, and went like you know we're, we're getting out of town mm-hmm. and like basically abandoned the town. So a lot of people. Mm. There were quite a lot of people who had left. Well, who well, who had left? What, well, like families, they... families who just who lived in the town. Oh, you were just like shit's gonna go down. Yeah, shit's gonna go down. We're getting out of it, wow. and they just literally just abandoned. You can the just town. smell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, town's yeah going, exactly. this town's gonna burn tonight. Right? Obviously, my great grandfather stayed and patrolled the streets before nine pm, getting everyone off the streets mm. so that they could make sure because basically the colonel was saying, "Hey, if there's anyone on the streets after the curfew tonight, they're fucking yeah." yeah. You know. So at the same time, uh, the priests also uh, wired other commanding forces in Ireland to try and get some protection for the town. So obviously even the priests were kind of like, you know, we've got a radio operator. It's just, they've said they're not going to do anything, but you know. <laughs> then <laughs> he's like, he's a gentleman and a godly man, but also he's gonna fucking kill everyone. Let's get the fuck <laughs> yeah, out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just as the curfew happens, three extra lorry loads of troops arrive in the town. Mm. This is about ninety extra soldiers descend on the town okay. armed to the teeth. Right, right. As soon as they arrive, they immediately start firing their revolvers and rifles um, into the air. And so this is making kind of, you know, a clear announcement of their arrival. Mm. First thing they do is they raid all the pubs in the town of booze and started drinking. Good start. And so this is this, this is, is not going to go well. Well, because well, you're saying like they said the IRA attack was like with they planned it at a specific time. To yeah. make sure the least <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what, we gonna, what, what are we going to do as replies? Well, let's make it the most irresponsible. Like yeah. we're going to get drunk and then burn things. Well, that's the thing in terms of it's, it's hard to know basically what exactly happened here. Mm. Was this all a bunch of troops who just went completely rogue? Yeah. And went like, right, we go, or was this a planned attack? Well, was it was it typical of what would happen? Well, elsewhere? yes, it was. So is it kind of business as usual? Exactly. Yes, it would. And that's, and that's the whole reason you had people leaving because they had been other burning some yeah. towns. Yeah. But obviously when this incident happened, what I was saying, the actual uh, British military themselves like basically denied all kind of involvement in this. Kind mm. of said, oh yeah, the, the these troops just went crazy and this happened mm-hmm. kind of thing. But obviously when they're arriving in lorries and you yeah. know they've got all the way you're like could we, was this really like some massive you said 90 people yeah rogue yeah. operations it's not, it's not like, like yeah. 90 people were at the pub and they're like you know what fuck those Irish guys <laughs> going over there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they get really really pissed obviously then they attack the town hall breaking in the main entrance douse it in petrol throw in some incendiary bombs set yeah, it on fire fuck. right so that's town hall burn first right. thing to go right yeah. uh, at this point Frank, my great grandfather, and others, because he was also he was a volunteer fireman. Because uh, Mallow didn't have its own fire brigade. Of course, he was a volunteer. Fireman. So, a volunteer He's the fireman. Guy as well. ever. So he came out with some other people. They try and put out the fire. Hmm. Unfortunately, immediately as they start trying to put out the fire, they're shot at. 
Yeah. And so it becomes this thing of, and he actually says in his uh, testimony that he doesn't believe at that point, at least, that the soldiers uh, were necessarily trying to kill them. Yeah. It was more a thing of, Stop no, from you are not. Burn. Yeah, let it burn. You are not putting that out, kind yeah. of thing. And if you do, it, you know, if you keep trying to put it out, we yeah. are going to kill you. Yeah. Going yeah. like, yeah. you know, but they wanted it to burn. It wasn't like the terror tactic of like first, get the first responders out and then kill the first responders. Yeah. It wasn't like that, exactly. But it was pretty. It was, it was more like, uh, like just full blown. Uh, you're going to have to watch. Yeah, while this while this town hall burns. Yeah. Uh, they then started burning private homes. Okay. Other than that, so they then go on to burn about twenty private mm. homes, go over people, and you've got in the Mallow. I've been there. Mm. It's is a very very small town. You know, yeah, it's just basically one long kind of main street, basically. Yeah. Uh, so you know, there's a lot of the town getting burnt up before mm. they set fire to any of the private homes. They go in and they put bayonets for all of the beds. Right now, luckily, a lot of people by this point, as soon as they start burning the town hall, most people abandon their homes mm. and run out, or they've I've already left, or mm. as soon as that burning start happened, they're like, "Shit, get the fuck out of there!" Yeah, house. or they wouldn't have been like, in yeah, bed. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. So they're, yeah. They're out. My great grandfather describes this in his testimony. It says they carried on like demons in the town. Those of us who remained in the town did not think that human nature could descend to the depths they did that night. They broke all the windows in the main street of the town, attacked the houses, because uh, a lot of people who had left had boarded up their house because mm. they thought something going to yeah, happen, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And the houses that are boarded up, those ones they attacked first. Mm. So it was almost like, go, fuck you. Yeah. You feet, you can stop us. Going, yeah. Like, yeah. And then attacking those. Going. Mm. Um, and he said it was very indiscriminate in terms of because you've got to remember at this time, town like Mallow is not it's not all Republican no there's some people are Republican there some people are Unionists yeah. who actually side with yeah. the British who would have condemned the actions mm. of the IRA mm. but they they just saw it and this kind of goes to show in the sense of that great fallacy of like you know when people side with those who hate them yeah. kind of thing. it's like when the working class vote Tory yeah, it's just guy, yeah. You, know, you just think these people fucking hate you. Yes. They don't give a yes. fuck about you. And it's that thing of going like these were people who actually sided with them. Yes. And they're like, no, fuck you, we're burning down your house. Yes. Like, yeah. yes. and, and as a result, there were people like in the town. Americans for Trump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. There were people in the town who before this were fine with yeah. English rule who became Republicans wow. because of what happened. And this, you know, this happens time and time again. You look at something like Bloody Sunday, later yeah, on in the 70s, yeah. and from that, literally, the, after Bloody Sunday, you get the biggest push for RA membership, like, ever mm. after that, because people felt betrayed. Mm. And, you know, if you if you stamp on people mm. time and time again, they will react. We gave you our allegiance, and look what you did with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amazing. So basically, at this point, what gets really scary is the troops, obviously all drunk and shooting into the air <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, yeah. They're calling from the street, demanding to know where Frank Dempsey is. Okay. Great, because he's the mayor and because he's known to have involvement in the Republican movement and everything like that, they're calling for him out on the street. Mm. And, you know, God knows what happens if they get a hold of him. Yeah. 
And he is actually standing about 30 yards away from them when they're yeah. recording. But because obviously a lot of these troops from outside town, they don't actually know what he looks like. Right. So, and luckily, there's obviously no one gives him away. Mm. And so no one says like, oh, it's, it's here. Yeah, 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 exactly. They all keep quiet. So, lucky, because uh, presumably what happened is, well, we don't know. Mm. Like, would they have shot him? Would they have said, well, we want to know where his house is mm. so we can burn Because they were yeah. also asking to know where he lived. Yeah. So they were thinking, we want to burn his house. Make, make his, his four children uh, and in-laws homeless. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But no one actually kind of grasped him up or anything like that. So it was yeah. okay. Allegiance at play. Yeah. Down the road is the condensed milk factory. Now, this is the second largest condensed milk factory in the country at the okay. time. Employed about 600 people. It's basically the principal source of employment for the town. Okay, right. The lifeline, so, the lifeblood of, yeah. of the town. It's about half a mile away out of town. The troops leave for there because they're going to burn it the fuck down. Yeah. And obviously by doing that, they're going to render a huge amount of people unemployed instantly mm. not only that but the insurance companies when they did burn it down mm. refused to pay out so they couldn't rebuild it mm. so literally that's instantly the key source of employment all gone yeah so it's that thing of going again it's like the, the fans said they're going to kill them with, 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 yeah, with, yeah with hunger um, as soon as they go out of the town, so literally as soon as they disappear over there, <laughs> all that out of the town, they instantly start trying to put all these fires out, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, my great grandfather is is keen on saying once they're gone, they're just like right, put them the fuck out because they've also set fire as well as all the owners, They set fire to basically every major business in mm. town, mm. and so they're burning all that to the ground. When the soldiers come back from setting fire to the milk factory. By this point, you know, there's a huge operation to try and put the fires out in the town. As soon as they see it, they start just opening fire mm. on everyone who's trying to put out the uh, fires. And this time, it's like, you know, they're, they're going for it because people do get shot yeah. and stuff like that. My great-grandfather was holding a fire hose, attempting to douse the flames of yeah. one house. One of the drunken soldiers came up to him and put a bayonet to his chest and said he would drive it through his heart if he didn't stop. Now, luckily, one of the other soldiers who was more so sober grabbed this guy and pulled him away. <laughs> wow. And it was just basically That's like... so interesting. Oh, just said... And literally said, leave it. He's just trying to put the fire out. That's so... But like, the, 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 these little glimpses of humanity... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. ...within this shitstorm. Yeah. Well, he makes... A, my great-grandfather makes a point of saying, like, you know not all of these guys were bad guys mm. in terms of, you know, I'm against them, obviously, mm, but mm. they're just doing their job, basically. But, you know, so you get this guy who was drunk and belligerent, yeah. obviously was like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And my great-grandfather literally says, when he put the bayonet against his heart, yeah. he turned the fire hose out of it. <laughs> And said, like, and basically was like, well, if you don't get out, I'm going to fire you, mate. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's this kind of epic standoff. It and is. This is like a, this is an epic story. Well, it's just that thing of just, it's, it's the willing to die for a cause. Yeah. Is it? And willing to die for the right thing in just terms of, because I suppose it's like, what do you do? Just go, yeah. oh, well, yeah, fine then. I'll let you burn my town down. Yeah. Or do you stand up? Because at that point, it's it's fight or flight, yeah. isn't it? Completely. Really, and Completely. it's about standing up. It's I suppose 
it's putting the town first and your the people you're meant to be looking after as mayor first yeah above your own safety yeah. essentially well i mean like if, like if yeah the, the, what are you going to do instead you're going to go and sit down in the burning house like there's nowhere else to get like like that's mm. like it, it makes things so much more simple doesn't it when when you're in that type of situation yeah it's crazy exactly uh, the soldiers eventually leave the town, firing their weapons into the air like cowboys as they go. <laughs> like literally, just like after burning the town, like yeehaw! Like uh, yeah, just like going out of town. Um, I mean, and some terrible things happen this night. I mean, obviously, all these businesses burn, all these homes burnt to the ground, everything. Like, I mean, it literally destroyed the town. Mm. Well, when, of one dead Englishman. Yeah, when they started burning it. Obviously, a lot of people fled their homes. One woman who'd had a baby about three days before had to get up out of bed and flee her house with her baby because it was Mm. about to get burnt down. Mm. And a lot of people fled to the local graveyard Mm. behind the church. I mean, I guess because it's slightly out of town and, yeah, I mean, the safety of the church. Well, right? like the, 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 the priest of the negotiator, yeah, the maybe, church is the, the, the Yeah, safe maybe house. they thought they wouldn't come down and burn the church. They thought, oh, they can't go that far. Like, the belief. Yeah. And they were hiding the graveyard. But unfortunately, obviously, you know, this is September in Ireland in 1920. <laughs> um, and there were people there who died of pneumonia. Um, so the, this woman, uh, like both her and her baby died oh. and, you know, and there was other, there was an elderly lady who died as well from exposure and yeah, it's this terrible thing, the human cost mm. of what is happening here. And just like you say, it's all out of just this crazy need for revenge of what was a legal act of war. This yeah. was the Irish war of independence that was yeah. going on at the time. Yeah. This was, there was nothing it's that thing of going like... So I was a commanding officer. Yeah, no he war... Was, he was no, a soldier. Yeah, no died. war crime was committed or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. It was like, no, this is just going... But the thing is, is the English, I suppose, wouldn't have even seen it as a legitimate yeah. war. They would just gone, well, no, you've got no right to like yeah, fight with us yeah, going yeah. like, yeah. yeah. My great-grandfather said about this, about some of the deaths that happened. He said... No country ever got its liberty without a certain amount of suffering. And we as Republicans will go on to the end for any amount of suffering until we get what you people in America got, your liberty. Mm. Because it was this thing of going, there was a great connection with America, which is why he ended up over there for Mm. a long time, touring the States, giving speeches and stuff about the Irish cause. Because obviously they had just got their own liberty Mm. not Mm. too long ago. They wanted to support that. And there's also a huge Irish contingent yeah. in yeah. Ireland, in yeah. well, uh, America. If if you ask a, a American citizen with Irish uh, heritage, they say I'm Irish. They they they, yes. they, they don't say yeah, yeah. Oh, I have ancestors. Yeah, from Ireland. yeah. They there's say, a real I'm, I'm Irish. Yeah, there's I'm a Irish. real real claim on that. Real claim Proper. on Irish ancestry. Mm. And he said the reign of terror instead of breaking the spirit of the people has intensified it. I mean, this goes to show, like, kind of, yeah, how ridiculous it was. Like, the soldiers at one point <laughs> broke into the local jewellers <laughs> and stealing uh, £700 worth of stock, adjusted for inflation today, that's about 30 grand <laughs> worth of jewels. Um, and the guy who owned it was not political at all. Yeah. They just wanted to loot it. 
Yeah. They literally just chug and chug and cheese. Oh, I mean, literally, they just want. Oh, I mean, yeah, at this point, they're just nicking stuff. Oh like, oh, uh, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, Sacking the town. Yeah, completely. Ooh. Completely. So, That's why the guy thought you could push the bayonet into the guy, into your, your grand, great grandfather's chest. Yeah. It's like, may as well have got to start killing folks. So, like I say, all the businesses are burnt down, everything like that. That's, that's it. It's completely fucked. Yeah. You know, I think to be the head of a town in that time. Yeah. Like, you know, when this happened, that, that a figurehead going in town mm. like, and having to deal with that, mm. deal with the aftermath. Yeah, I can't, well, I mean, I can't imagine. From the beginning of the story, he said he was in the streets making sure everyone yeah, was yeah, off yeah, the yeah. streets. He was on the front lines. He was literally firefighting. Mm. They were calling his name and the people were protecting him. Well, I think that kind of shows that, like, that's the thing. He was clearly a respected person yeah. in town. The fact that people, even... Though there were people there at the time who actually sided with the British, like mm. still didn't give them up. Yeah, like you know that's well, pretty. Their, their houses were burning too. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing thing. And yeah, what actually happened because really the retaliation from the British did continue on mm. as literally a couple of days after this, even. So it's like that's the thing. It's like well, this wasn't enough. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a disabled war veteran. Irish war veteran who'd fought in World War One because a lot of Irish did yeah, fight in World yeah, War yeah, One yeah, yeah. um, was walking through the park by the military barracks and he was I mean, this is terrible because he disabled right after fighting World War One he was on his way to collect his like military pension oh going, right? and he was shot dead by the military like literally just snipered yeah for no reason like he was just walking through and they just went oh, there's an Irish guy let's fucking kill him. Because at that point it got to the, yeah. where they just felt like the goalposts oh, had been yeah. moved. Yeah, exactly. You, you're yeah. all fair game now. And this was literally about yeah, about ten days after the burning. And this guy's brother, mm. who also fought in World War One for the British, went to the barracks and confronted the man who'd murdered his brother, and asked him why he'd shot him. And the soldier just went, "It was a good job you weren't here too, or you would have got something also." <laughs> And the reply um, from the brother was, it's service right, my brother and me too, for fighting for England. Wow. So in terms of that thing of going, yeah, what was the fucking point? Why did we do that? that we, Why? We showed allegiance. We, we fought yeah, with yeah, you, yeah, yeah. for you. We, we, should were... have, we should have left you to fucking die. Fuck. Like, uh, just Oh my God. And also, what stones to march up to the barracks for that conversation? Yeah, I... <laughs> That's the place where people try and trap you. But also, you just think, his brother's just been shot dead. Like, yeah, it wow. turns it, it, it literally, oh he had the balls to kind of turn up and demand an explanation. Why did you do it? Like, it was just, um, wow. after eight extra lorry loads of black and tans arrive, who are basically kind of hired bully boys, essentially, right. who would basically just took over intimidated the town yeah. and would just tur- go into shops and pubs and demand food and drink they refuse to pay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, these are literally just hired fucks, basically. Yeah, yeah. Also actually responsible for the death of uh, my great-grandfather's wife's father, right. who was murdered by the actually... Uh, he was also worked on the railways. Mm. He was in his signal box... Uh, when the Black and Tans came into the signal box looking for the IRA, he tried to get them out. Mm. Said like, you know, you can't be in here. <laughs> and they beat the shit out of him and threw him downstairs. 
and broke his neck on the death certificate. It says his neck was broken, kind yeah, of thing. Like, yeah, you know, it's yeah. no, it didn't happen. And yeah, I mean, that's fucking insane. Yeah. You know, just, just literally, that's the life you live in. Yeah. You just, you, you try to do your job. Yeah. And yeah, these guys just come in for, well, it's that thing of they were looking for the, under the pretense looking for the RA. But it just seems as if they came in for larks. Yeah, like you know, just they, like you, know, you find the IRA in a signal box. Yeah, and just like <laughs> you know, the base of operations. And just, <laughs> I mean, it's is so. How big is a signal box? It's like a cupboard, isn't it? It's so frightening. You can see, you can totally understand why. Yeah, he was pushed to kind of you know to do to continue fighting because I mean he kept on fighting the cause until. The day he died, mm-hmm. he never really stopped, and he actually established the Mallow contingent of Finnafoil, which is a local uh, party offshoot of Sinn Fein. Mm-hmm. He died of Bright's kidney disease, blind the last six months of his life. Wow. Uh, his daughter used to read in the Irish Times Aww. because the same daughter that saved his life because he wanted to keep politically informed yeah. about the situation. But yeah, he was called when he passed away a true patriot. Yeah. He was described as a patriot above all. Mm. He put his country before all considerations. Mm. I think clearly, you know, I, I think it's very true. You look at what he did. He travelled all over the States. He went on the steward states to try and drum up uh, support for the Irish cause, I think a part of him would have liked to have stayed in the States, but he had a responsibility back home to Mallow, to the Irish people, to his mother-in-law, mm. uh, who still lived with him, of the raised those children, and she would not move to America. She mm. wanted to stay in Ireland. And so he came back and he continued to be involved politically until, yeah, until the end. Mm. He... I want to just read this quote from him. I think it's quite significant. And he said, I believe, of course I may be wrong in my belief, but I believe that if anybody comes in to break up or blow up the town, that the men in the town should do their best to protect it, even at the risk of death. And it's that thing of going, that's that's what it's all about, isn't Mm. it? Is going, you know, this is... This is where we draw the line. Yeah. This is our town, our country. And, you know, we're not going to allow you just come in mm. and kill us. Yeah. And maim us and, like, destroy our homes. You know, we're going to fight you and we're not going to stop. Also, and, you yeah. know, there are people who are, like I say, he wasn't part of the yeah. RA or mm, something like mm, that. Like, mm. you know, but he was... He would never have known. He would never kill an innocent life. Like, he would never... Yeah, it was yeah. more into... But, but he was very much saying... That's the thing. When you look at all the things he was doing, mm. he wasn't really being violent. No. He was simply going, I'm not going to be intimidated by violence towards yeah, right. me from stopping from stopping doing what I need to do. You're absolutely right. Every step he took was a preventative measure. Yeah. It was, yeah, a, yeah, it yeah. was a shielding. It was a, like the worst thing he ever did was hold a, a hose pipe at somebody yeah yeah it was standing was just standing up that's to he wasn't involved in like the raid and the military barracks or anything like that it's like you know and that's the thing in terms of the differences between 
different acts of rebellion. Yeah. Like, you know, for me, he still did stuff that was a million times yeah. braver than yeah. anything I think we can imagine even being involved in. I love that quote as well, because there's so much bullshit spoken about what it means to be a man. Yeah. And yeah, the fact yeah, yeah, that yeah. he said, if you're a man, to be a man... It's just to protect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about protection. Yeah, it's about not to be like the better, better. All those the, the the drunk English soldiers thought they were being men. Yeah, doing yeah, what yeah. men do. Yeah, I think that's. I love that quote. Yeah, he's, um, a, he's a good. He's a, he's a good man. I mean, it's it's that thing where he's astounding, like having someone like that as a great grandfather, mm. because when you look at his life and that at 35 that's when he starts getting really heavily involved mm. in the political angle and all the stuff he then does of course we end up comparing <laughs> <laughs> how you doing so far how you like, how, yeah, how, how, how like, you stacking up <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's just like ah. Have I? Does it look like I'm about to fight for like 15 years? In for Liam's a defence, so, yeah. he does have his own podcast. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. About Star Trek. About Star Trek. <laughs> I like, yeah, and I think my great grandpa would be very fucking proud of what he thought to allow me hey, I to think, make I a Star think, Trek I podcast. Think he'd be a fan of the United Federation of Planets. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what? I think I think he would. You're be. doing the Lord's work. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, I wonder. The other thing I was going to say is I'm so happy that this this we've had this chat. I think it's been fucking. I'm so happy that you told that story. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant thing to to get out there. I'm really happy to. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things. That. that I think it's really really nice to be able to kind of just talk about and mm. kind of also get out on a podcast. You can read more about it. There is mm. information out there. It is accessible. If anyone wants to read any more about, you know... We'll, uh, post, we'll post a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, yeah. we'll post those stuff. Send on, me everything. And I'll yeah, I will sure do it on, on social media posted. and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, just let me know because mm. um, it is important stuff. And I think it's weird because... Obviously, it is documented. There is stuff out there. I mean, you know, I'm mm. holding a book that's yeah, got a chapter yeah, yeah, about yeah. my great-grandfather in it. Yeah. But at the same time, like, considering to us, I think we look at something like I think, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, this is so far removed from our lives. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it seems so amazing. Mm. But, you know, there's not loads... Of, the, the fact that you can go and buy two volumes of Russell Brand autobiography... <laughs> And yet, like, you know, there's, like, a chapter in a kind of, in a field club journal yeah. about my great grandma. And, you know, yeah. I'm not, this is not, I'm not hating on Russell Brown, people. I mean... I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying that there's two books about his life, self-written. Yeah. And, like, you know, and I'm like, has what Russell Brown's achieved... Mm. He's like, does it stack up against... I would love to see what... I think they are comparative because Russell Brand, at the end of the day, is someone who views himself or models himself, at least. He'd probably love this. I would love... Well, but I would love to see how Russell Brand fares if the town started getting burnt. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If if Russell Brand had the bayonet... uh, In fact, I would pay money to see that. Put to his his heart. How would he react? I don't know. Like, uh, it's hard to say. I I genuinely don't know. You know, I'm not... But yeah, it's uh, it's it's fascinating. It's, it's weird how we 
value different things. Yeah. Like, well, uh, uh, I'm so happy that I'm so happy that this chat is part of this season of the show because it means it's kind of a actually quite lovely companion piece to Greg's episode. Oh yeah, which yeah, I'm really Greg excited on, for you yeah. to listen. To I'm looking forward to it yeah. because he talks about his grandfather George mm. Locke, English uh, bomber crew mm. in the Second World War who Greg idolised his whole life and I love that when you said that the town always looked on um, Frank as a patriot yeah Greg's yeah, episode yeah. is patriotism yes and when Greg went on a journey to discover more about his grandfather he inevitably did learn more about him mm. and the things that his dad told him about his grandfather were really interesting one of the things was that on his deathbed George Locke was basically said it wasn't right what we did the wow. like 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 he his allegiance like so if you think about your great grandfather and Greg's grandfather completely different sides of the coin yeah. of allegiance and patriotism Ireland England and he was that guy in the bomber looking down going oh they don't deserve that what's going on down there yeah and yeah, he yeah. was very he was actually not very patriotic by the end yeah it's fascinating well it is it's enjoy- you know just look at someone like uh, Harry Patch. Mm. Um, the last fighting uh, Tommy, I think he was the last World War One soldier mm. living at one point. He's dead now, right? Um, and he became very politically active in the latter years of his life, uh, very anti-war mm. and stuff like that. So you know, it just goes to show, really. Mm. Um, but I think it's interesting because obviously, I think when we think of patriot. We think of a very kind of true blue mm. kind of version of patriotism in terms of, you know, saluting the flag and stuff mm. like that. That's what mm. we think of, I think. Mm. But my great grandfather was called a patriot there. But to be a patriot in his world, he had to be a rebel. Yeah. Because That's to be a patriot to his country that was occupied by, you know, what we would deem you know, our own patriotism kind yeah. of like towards the British flag, like he had to rebel against it. So that's an interesting comparison. Fuck me, it's, fuck me, it's fascinating stuff. Do you mind just checking my phone? Of just course. Saying, like yeah. just clicking on it and seeing what the battery is up to. What's it saying? What uh, full? Is it full, is it? Looks full. Okay. <sighs> right, okay. Okay. Continue. Right. What do you want to ask me? You, I've got a couple got of... Well, I mean, we, we, I've, I've, I've got like... I've, I've, I've got to go watch John Wick kill some people. Uh, cathartic parabellum detach myself from reality for a bit um, <laughs> not think about the consequences of geopolitical oh action. that sweet sweet content <laughs> I gotta go empathise with dog killing <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah I guess so we, we, we end the podcast with I ask you two questions uh, the first is tell me something that you don't love that everyone else seems to kind of love and then just tell me something that you do love and just sell it to me. Okay, a thing that I do not love that it seems a huge amount of people are obsessed with now <laughs> is uh, spoiler phobia. Oh! Um, okay. It, literally, everyone fucking loves <laughs> when any big TV show comes out. Well, basically, any yeah, new yeah. season of Game of Thrones, yeah, especially. Yeah. Which we've already talked about quite... Uh, yeah, at the time of recording, the final episode is tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is already a show that inspired mass hysteria. We yeah. may well yeah. fucking petitions and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But every fucking new season of Game of Thrones that comes out, literally you get every single cunt on Facebook, <laughs> social media, going like, ow. Oh, if you post Game of Thrones spoilers, I'm going to delete you instantly. <laughs> it's just like, and I'm always like, there's 
any more on your timeline ever posted Game of Thrones spoilers? I think, have I, they? Think, I think if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you probably have a few people. Like, is, has that actually happened? I think it does. Because literally, right, people always turn around to me and go like, when they see... I remember when Endgame came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw it like a couple of days after it came out, mm, like mm. something like that, about three, four days after it came out. And those people are like, oh, right, you're going to have to stay off social media until yeah, Endgame yeah, comes yeah. out, like, because, till you see it, because, oh, man, if you get spoiled, like, mm. oh, fucking hell, like, yeah, so just literally close it, you're going to have to be so careful not to get mm-hmm. spoiled. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to be careful not to get spoiled. Yeah. Like, literally, I was on social media. In a normal way, mm. kind of thing. I just didn't type in to the search bar yeah. Avengers Endgame. I took, like, uh, I took like, a couple yeah. of extra steps. I didn't go on Twitter or YouTube. Well, that's the thing. I... YouTube tends to send me videos that are to do with things I like. Right, so, right, so, right, so right, I'll right. have like watched uh, like a fight scene from Ant Man Two, and so it will think I want to see the latest, ha- you know, handy cam, uh, right, you know, pirated, pirated of version of some scene. Right, from okay. But I was, I, I just knew that, so I just for three days but yeah go online. exactly so this is this with it number one I just don't think that it's people wantonly kind of spoilerizing stuff is actually as big a thing as people make out yeah in terms of uh, it, the way it's described is if we're living in that episode of the Likely Lads where they have to run around. It's called No Hiding Place, where literally they're trying to stop hearing the football results. It's right. the football game yeah. is played and they want to watch the match on the on the telly yeah. that night. It's not going to show live. It's going right. to show that night. Yeah. And they have to run around the town, try to avoid people because everyone's going, oh, did you hear about the match? And they're like, oh, and running around. And it's like an early version of spoiler phobia, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. literally, that's the thing. Like, no one—that's a comedy. No one's actually doing that. Yeah. No one's leaving it. I mean, it's very fucking rare. I did yeah. hear about a terrible case of Avengers Endgame. There was a person who literally turned, stormed the cinema, <laughs> and and spoilerized like a, a part of the film. Like, went ran into a cinema like halfway for a screen. Went, blah, 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 this happens. Ran out. Right, and that is terrible. That is right? terrible. Not, the, yeah. Number one breaks all the code of conduct of the cinema. Yeah. Like kind of thing, which yeah. is essentially, if you talk in the cinema, you should be fucking shot. Okay. Well, the point, I was, was going to say, actually, in, if you're talking about an American cinema, that's your best case scenario of somebody storming the cinema <laughs> during yeah. a superhero movie. So I think You'd everyone, wishing they everyone, everyone, everyone should be, everyone should be, count themselves you very lucky. So fucking lucky, dude. That an insane douchebag ran in and yeah. said just some things that happened in the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all relative, exactly. people. Yeah, very, very true. Um, so you know, obviously, yes, there are mad fucking like with anything, they're mad fucking cunts anywhere yeah. who will go for reason no them. Oh, I'm just gonna spoiler this yeah. because it might. But also, I think the people who generally do that in terms of a knowing way, mm. in terms of people who go like, I want to spoil this for you. Yes. I'm going to get a kick out of spoiling yeah. it for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That's a very, very small contingent, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there are then people who are just uh, either slightly clueless. Like, they're not self-aware. They, yeah, they're or, not, oh my or, God, I can't believe this happened. Or, or yeah. just don't, yeah, just don't know that's a big deal. In terms of, I think, because th- th- this whole thing, I think, again, 
He's a very, like the, you know, 500,000 people who have signed this petition to get Game of Thrones rewritten. This is so funny. Right. That sounds like a lot. Yeah. But it isn't. No. In the grand scheme, if you, in relative nature, in compared to the amount of people watching Game of Thrones, it's a very small number. Yeah. So he's very much the minority going like, you know, so you will get people who just don't realise it's a big deal. But the irony of those people, because they don't want to be spoiled... And then when the thing that they thought was going to happen didn't happen, they weren't happy. So it's like they were already spoiling yeah, themselves. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. They're like, Isn't, they're like actually, surely it wouldn't have been a problem if you'd been spoiled because you already think you know what you want to happen. Well, no, this is because people who have spoiler phobia, the idea is they want to be surprised. Uh, all and, evidence to the fucking and, contrary. And yeah. When they were surprised by what happened in the recent episode of Game of Thrones that got everyone so annoyed, they started petitioning for it to be rewritten. So actually, they like you said, and just like a, a couple of weeks ago, mm. where spoiler alert, <laughs> Arya killed yes. the Night King. Yes, all of these fucking incel dicks were going. Wait, I don't want to be shot. What do you want? Okay, <laughs> yeah. What do you want? And the the, the issue, the, the real... Imagine if John had killed the Night King and yeah. they'd been spoiled. They'd well, be like, yeah, yeah. how I'm dare spoiled. you tell me that Jon Snow kills the Night King? I wanted to be surprised. But the real issue I have with spoiler phobia, the real okay. problem I have, because people do love it and they revel in it, I yeah. feel, is it is the biggest first world problem yeah. there has ever fucking been. Literally, we are on the precipice of our fucking planet. <laughs> yes. Being destroyed with climate change, with potential nuclear war. People are losing their fucking lives <laughs> every day. Like in America, people, people of color are getting shot dead by yeah. cops in the States. Yes. And yet, some stupid fucking irrelevant dickhead <laughs> sitting in his mum's basement is going, like, Oh, I've been spoiled. I love it. My, oh, my TV show's been ruined. Number Ooh. one, if being spoiled for a TV show mm. or a film, if that can ruin it for you in terms of finding out one plot point reveal yeah. can ruin it for you, then either that's not a good piece of art yeah. that you're watching, yeah. so it doesn't fucking matter, yeah. or you are not very intelligent yourself. You should not be watching... TV. Because I literally <laughs> hear people go, well, once the surprise is gone, it's ruined. Ugh. So as in, they'll watch it, or even though I know people have watched something, mm. and once they've watched it once, they're like, well, the next time I watch it, it will be shit, because I've watched it. Mm. Kind of thing. And now there's nothing to gain. Mm. And so I just think they're monumentally That's fucking dumb. To, uh, very core as film fans. Yeah, yeah, because literally it's all, for us, it's all about analysing. Yeah. Like what is, and We're the people, it. the people making these works of art, mm. they're not making it just to be watched once. They're making it to be analysed and thought about. There's layers in there. My favourite yeah. TV show ever is The Sopranos. Mm. I've watched the Don't entire, for me, because well, I yeah. Seen, oh, I've I got, got, really, got really scared there, I'm sorry. Right, I've watched the entire fucking thing about eight times. Yeah. Every single time I love it more mm. because it's layered. 
Yeah. Because there's stuff in there to peel back like mm. fucking onion. And I have been spoiled some stuff about The Sopranos. Yeah. But it's been out for so long. I'm like, yeah, it's the price of doing business. I know that I should have watched it 10 years ago. That's why it's spoiled for me. But if something is well made, fine. finding out the pot points will not fucking spoil it. Yes, I do understand that there is a certain degree of gratification mm. from watching a film or a TV show or reading a book mm. and they're coming up a surprise that you didn't see coming and a bit yeah. like, oh, yeah. of course there is. But at the same time, by knowing what's going to happen, I don't go, oh, well, now this is rendered mm. worthless to me. Yeah. It's just a different experience. Mm. It's just that I can, I feel almost like if I know what's going on, I can take it in more. Mm. Because you're not kind of waiting on tenterhooks, kind mm. of what's going on. You're not waiting for the plot twist. Mm. Kind of thing. You can just enjoy what's there. Yeah. So often, a lot of things where, a lot of things that are my favourite things, I enjoy more on the rewatch because I'm able just to luxuriate yeah. in what they are, right? Mm. The one fucking good thing Chris Hardwick ever fucking said, <laughs> right, was that he once said, uh, people get angry about spoilers about how they used to get angry about apartheid. <laughs> and I was like, and, and literally, I was like, it's completely fucking spot on in terms of like, what the fuck has it come to uh, with that entitled yeah. that literally we're going, oh, you're ruining my TV show. You're ruining my film. Yeah. Oh, like now yeah. it's ruining me. Like, yeah. And it is literally to, I mean, people go like, oh, I will never speak to you again if you like do this. Yeah. But it's also this is is unknowing spoilers, and also the different way people categorize spoilers. Mm. Because some people now say the title mm. is a spoiler. Yeah, like the title of a film is a spoiler. <laughs> like in terms of Avengers Endgame, right? Yeah, for ages before that was, and also because we live in a very reactive kind of world with the entertainment mm. industry, they do listen to these fucking idiot fanboys well, yeah, at the moment, right? Yeah. And so they went, we won't release the title of yeah. Avengers Endgame because yeah. it's, uh, and people go, oh yeah, they won't release because it's a huge spoiler for Infinity War. It's a huge spoiler. And there is it. Avengers Endgame? <laughs> I was like, there's a spoiler. What is in the terms of it's an ending? <laughs> and uh, I was like... Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that the entire film is about chess? Because <laughs> when, when they say it's a huge spoiler, I was like, well, it's only a huge spoiler if it's called Avengers colon half of the cast die at the end of Infinity War. Right, yeah. I see like, yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, if yeah. that's what it's called, then yes, that is a massive spoiler. Yeah. Calling a film Endgame yeah. is not a massive fucking spoiler. No. And, uh, and it's just... And, oh, God, oh it's really God. fucking it's, nuts. I love it. I love your passion. Literally, people who say, like, oh, the trailer is... can't mention things. I'm like, that's literally put out by the film company to market the film. I think you've got to be able to talk about what's okay. in the fucking trailer. I can add on, I can pile on to this. It's like, how much better a film would Spectre have been if they just said Blofeld's in it? Yes! Yes! Uh, but this is the thing. This Christoph is- Waltz's cast is Blofeld. Fine. I can't wait to see that film. It would be like, it's like, no, no one did, no one didn't enjoy The Dark Knight because we knew the Joker was in it. But this is where, this is the reactive nature that Hollywood have to these fucking toxic nerds at the end of the day. Because, and I don't understand it. Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane. Perfect example, right? That film became what it was Mm. because it became this weird internet sensation where people began getting obsessed about the idea 
of Samuel Jackson starring a film called Snakes on a Plane, yeah. right? And they literally made up their own dialogue for the film, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Uh, get these motherfucking snakes off this yeah, motherfucking yeah, plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they end up putting that line in the film, and they end up doing reshoots of the film to make it more like the imagined version yeah. the fans were imagining online. This is the time we live in, man. Okay. It's changing. This, but this is a different time. In, in it was cinema. a box office flop. Was it? That, yeah. It Surely didn't. it's like a cult hit. No, it was a flop. It, was yeah. like, it might have made money on DVD later. That's what I'm thinking. But it, at the cinemas, it was a flop. So that didn't work. Right. That yeah. didn't work. It never work, does. It right? never does when you give the fans what they want. And that's the thing. It doesn't unless work. Unless you're changing the Sonic the Hedgehog design. It, I can, <laughs> you can bet. You can bet your bottom dollar. If Jon Snow had killed the Night King, yeah. people would have been going the next hour, oh, how predictable. <laughs> it's so predictable since they left George R. Martin's wonderful text. Yeah, yeah. And now, like, you know, we know exactly what's going to happen. You could plot it yourself, going like, you know. Yeah. But it's like, oh no, you didn't, because Arya Sark fucking killed him, and you were surprised you didn't like it. Yeah. It, oh, mate, it literally drives me fucking in Sane, wow. how be angry people get about it. I remember yeah. when um, when John So died for the first time in yeah. Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've said spoilers. we're talking about fucking how much we hate spoiler phones. We're gonna fucking spoil shit for you just to annoy you, cunts. Right? <laughs> Literally, when John Snow, this is the most passionate you've been throughout the whole podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I was able to be measured about like all this horrendous kind of like oppression in Ireland but now I'm getting really angry uh, well there you go first world fucking problem I'm adding to it right now by getting froze ang- to death in a graveyard by though. getting angry <laughs> yeah by getting angry at the swerve foes I've been just as bad but when John Snow died for the first time I remember talking to someone who was a big spoiler folk. Right. And he said, oh yeah because I had to delete this guy earlier because he puts his status oh my god I'm so upset yeah, and that was the like the yeah, status, right? Yeah, yeah. And he went. It was so obvious. He was talking about Jon Snow dying at the end of Game of Thrones season five. <laughs> I was like, what? There was nothing in the status that was referencing that he's yeah. watching Game of Thrones. He yeah. was just saying that he was upset. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> his dad could have fucking died. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Like, it, oh, mate, it drives me fucking barmy. But yeah, anyway. That's love it. I love it. I'm well behind that. Okay. And beautifully, eloquently <laughs> told, sir. What do you love? Get it off your chest. What do I love? Well, I think, you know, we should um, say cats Let's because say cats. a cat came in earlier and I lost all concentration yes. um, with what we were actually doing because, yeah, I obsessed with cats. Uh, they are absolutely amazing. They get a bad rap. They do. They get bad rap cats. A lot of people are cat haters. I don't understand it. Well, I do think I understand it. I think the problem is a lot of people love dogs. Dogs are yeah. man's best friend. I love dogs as well. They're great. <laughs> um, however, I always feel you can tell the difference between people, whether they like dogs or whether mm. they like cats. People who like dogs, I think, tend to be more conformist. Oh, it's like, right. It does. They basic bitches. No, they like dogs because dogs are hangers on. Yeah. Dogs want to please you so much, but it's all about discipline. It's about you've got to discipline your dog. Oh, it's interesting. You've got to make you're yourself. The you're the master. You're the alpha. You get to dominate, yeah. right? Yeah. Not so. Whereas, with cats. not so much of a cat, but 
those people, the kind of people who do these memes go like, oh, yeah, when you have a cat, they own you. You're the pet. Like, are they, and it's just like, no, that's not actually true. Not it's just that they're not at your beck and call. Yeah. They're not picking up a stick when you throw it. Yeah. They're not obeying your every order. It's not like, you're not like going, it's not like we're back in Egyptian time, <laughs> uh, worshipping at the cat's altar or anything like that. You're just being... We need to make Egypt great again. Get the cats back in charge. You're not forcing... Number one, you're not forcing them to do your bidding. Yeah. Number two, they just get on with their own shit. Yeah. In terms of they're not... They're, they're like other human beings. They're like yeah. housemates. They're not terribly... Ter- they are like housemates. They're not terribly interested in you all the time. Mm. But occasionally, they'll go, oh, I want to be with you now. And they'll come and sit with you. Yeah. And hang out with you. Yeah. If you build up on... You have to build and foster a good relationship yeah. with a cat. People Trust. go, oh, cats, they're so unfriendly. Oh, they're such twats. Going, you know, they're really they're really hateful. And it's like, no, they're not. Again, they're just not shagging your fucking leg. Yes. At the end of the day, as long as you've got them spayed. <laughs> um, you you have to build a friendship and a relationship with a cat which takes more effort mm. because a dog wants to be your friend yeah. at the end of the day it wants to be loved everything yeah. like that and they're great and I love dogs I used to volunteer for the RSPCA and a big part of volunteering for the RSPCA is walking dogs nice. because there's loads and loads and loads of dogs and they all need exercise and walking mm. all the time. So that's a huge part of it. And it's great fun to do. And, you know, it's, it's really, really nice and dogs are lovely. But I just connect with cats more. Yeah. I just feel more protective towards cats in terms of, you know, because people, people feel like they're out to get cats, man. Yeah. Like, literally... There's never a day that goes past without reading some horrible article in the papers or something like that about someone locking a cat in a bin. Or something like, you know, and it it upsets the shit out of me, man. It really, really does. Yeah. And, you know, so whenever I see a cat, I just love them. I want to hug them. Mm. And, you know, just, yeah, I've had two, owned two cats, one who I had for like 18 years, Mm. got from the PDSA when they were like, um, or might have been the Cat Protection League, actually, when I was about 10, um, and they lived until about 18. Yeah. And, you know, they live a ripe old age, and she probably lived slightly longer than she should have done, really. Wow. It was it was a case of, you know, we had to get her situated, we had to put her down, because wow. she was very old and decrepit, starting to become incontinent and stuff like that, and you have to divide yourself you really love an animal you really love a pet mm. you have to reach that dividing line where are they alive because they want to be alive or are oh. they alive because you oh. want them to be alive or okay. you don't want them to leave yeah. uh, but you as you know this is the thing where they are a pet where they are a free will they can't just go down to the local mm. uh, PDSA and get put yeah, down. They, yeah. You have to do that for them. Mm. And, you know, we did have to put her down. Yeah, it was... But I knew it was the right thing to do. It was uh, some of the... Like, the hardness of it was taken away knowing it was the right thing. Knowing yeah. that she... I could look at her. It was done out of love. Yeah, look at her and she was, you know, she was hobbling about and Mm. matted fur and I was like, you know, you want to go. You want Mm. to go. And so, at that point, it was easy to take her there and get it done. But obviously, it actually happening um, 
was very, very hard. Mm. I remember us going into into the um, the vets to get it done, and I often find myself in situations where a lot of other people are being incredibly emotional. Often find like I feel as if I can't be emotional. Wow. In terms of if there's people I care about being emotional, I feel like, oh, well, in my subconscious brain, I feel as if, well, therefore, I better not be emotional because therefore, look at them, they're falling falling apart. Mm -hmm. But it's all subconscious. Yeah, 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 It's all subconscious. Like, it's just, I quite like to fall apart as well. Yeah. But a part of me just kind of clicks off and goes, I mean, for years... I found it very, very difficult to cry. Mm. Like, literally, there was a period of about 15 years where I cried about three times. Yeah. And not because, not, not in a kind of like, oh, God, not crying. Like, yeah, or yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah, why yeah. cry? Man, any, absolutely. Yeah, or if like I didn't that, have yeah. anything to cry about, in the sense of I literally physically you couldn't, couldn't fucking cry. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would get the feeling, you know that feeling you get when you go and cry? <laughs> right, I would get it. But I just wouldn't. There were no tears. Yeah, it was exactly. like my tear ducts didn't work. Nothing I would, would do fucking a, come I, out. I would do like a thirty-second dry cry, and then, I, and then and then it would just kind of fix itself. The old dry cry. Old dry like, cry. But yeah, nothing would fucking come out. And like literally, I found it really hard because I wanted that emotional cathartic yeah, release. We all want that. And I think it manifested itself in this thing of kind of you know I was at that. Uh, it was at a certain age. So it was from when about like two thousand and three or something. Where I was about. 18 to like literally in like the last year and that that kind of period i suppose that's that's a a period of high testosterone i guess and kind of like growing up and you know becoming an adult man so maybe that's something to do it but so this time i remember i was with my mum my dad and my uh partner they were all upset they were all clearly kind of like you know crying and emotional i remember they put the vet put my cat on the, uh, Jess mm. on the table and um, I went and kind of just put my like, hand on like her face and kind of was just, you know, saying goodbye. I was trying to just kind of talk to her so she'd be distracted while she got injected. Mm. I don't think I realised how quick it was going to be. Mm. Because they injected her, and I grabbed her paw as it happened because I wanted her to realise that I was there with her mm. as it happened. And I don't truly know because she was obviously so weak everything at the time whether I managed to grab her paw before the lights went out or not. I like to believe that I did, but I don't truly know in that moment kind of thing. And that was very, I found, it literally broke my fucking heart that in that moment I didn't truly know. And I think, I think was there with mm, her mm. in that moment. And then they said, oh, she, she has died. And... My mum, my dad were like crying because this has been like the family, our big family pet, really. Like mm. you know, yeah. and my uh, my fiance was crying as well. 
because it's that thing of going, you know, just in reactive, I think, in terms of like, mm. yeah, and obviously mm. she knew the cap, obviously mm. everyone's upset. And I didn't because, yeah, it's like, you know, obviously a, the, some weird part of my fucking mind went like, you know, oh, yeah, you can't cry. And I literally just, because it just felt like oh, everyone else is falling apart, I just wrapped Jess in a towel, picked her up and walked her out of there mm. kind of thing. And we got, and then... We went back to uh, we went back to uh, the house where we went, and I dug her grave in the back garden. Wow! And buried her. Wow! While everyone else was kind of you know yeah. crying, being upset, and I was like, oh well, I've got to go and do this then. <laughs> and like you, you really know, are Irish, just like, um, gotta go up and take a grave. <laughs> and um, and yeah, like you know, it's just and it was a loss. Mm. It was a loss. I, I mean, I've actually had quite a lot of death in my life. Mm. A lot of, uh, literally, I've got no grandparents. They're all dead. Mm. And I've had a spray amount of kind of friends die as well. And like, um, but it was literally, it had such an impact on me because she literally, I, I did consider her my best friend. Yeah. Like I had that kind of relationship with her kind of thing. And like, um, yeah, I did find it very, very hard. And yeah, I think, I think people, I think, a lot of people kind of oh don't uh, associate that kind of relationship with cats. They associate with dogs yeah. and stuff like that. And I'm just like it's complete bullshit. Yeah. Like you know you, totally. you really can um, have their relationship. And cats cats rock. They're amazing. They're they're, in, they're independent. They're free thinking. They're just I, like you said. I think I, I relate to more because they're more like me as yeah, a person. Yeah, they've human. Um, they've human traits. Yeah, completely. And that's why people think they're dickheads because. A because of, we're dickheads. A lot of human yeah. traits are negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogs yeah. don't have negative human traits because they yeah. don't have a lot of dogs human are just traits. lovely. They're dogs just, are just yeah, lovely. Yeah, and yeah. It's just and they're like it, air stewardesses. <laughs> but I find cats more relatable. So yeah, I'm rooting for cats. And yeah, so if you next time you see a cat, if you don't like cats, don't be a twat to them just mm. because they don't conform to what you think an animal should be. Like, yeah, you know. totally. Brilliant. So say we all, man. Thanks for saying that. Are you basically saying, I think that you would go John Wick for a cat. Oh, 100%. 100%. (laughs) Mate, that's why. Literally, oh, I, literally, well, we can still make the John Wick for cats. And he literally, and he does do it just for the cat. Right, we're going to fix this. You do it just for the cat at the end of the day. Like, you know, and he's my, well, my second cat was very much a rescue cat because it was, uh, my next door neighbour, um, had a cat who just clearly was not set up to have a cat. He was a complete mash head. And, (laughs) um, and he literally, I used to look after this cat while he was away. Mm. I'd go there and her food was full of maggots and like, uh, literally was overspilling with shit. Mm. And literally, he was moving out, and his new place didn't take cats. And I genuinely was like, you know what? I think if I don't do something, this cat's getting off the fucking river. Jesus! And like, I was just <laughs> like, and I was like, I will take this fucking cat. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. so rescued that cat basically from him and rehabilitated it. Beans mm. spent two years rehabilitate this cat, take it to the vet, get all the shots it need, getting spayed. It was basically skin and bone when I got it, feeding it up, make it better, and then eventually managed to rehome her with a nice, cu- nice older couple oh. who had like massive gardens and stuff like that. And you know that's the thing. It's like so you got to go for the bat. 
yeah. the cats. Right. <laughs> we will. Oh my god, we've got to go, man. We've got like two minutes until um, I'm going to leave. Until John Wick. <laughs> until John Wick. Well, I've got to. I've got to get to Leicester Square. It all comes back it to all, John it, Wick. I mean, yeah, he's coming for us all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, eventually he's going to have to. He's going to have killed yeah. everyone there's ever yeah. been. Like yes. so, yeah. about John Wick six, he's coming for the podcasters. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> um, he'll have run out of people who betrayed him. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to 50 Uses for the Word Love. Uh, my guest today was Liam H. Devsey, my good friend. Uh, and the word was allegiance. Say goodbye to the people, Liam. See you later, people. Love you, mate. I'm Stephen Trouble, and I love you. <laughs>